0: Welcome to Trivially Crucial, where we believe every online orator, fantasy game, and especially every third-born child is important and critical to our lives, no matter how controversial a story may seem. Hey, Michael.
1: Hey, Mandy. I like the, uh, the third-born child one. I wonder if there's something, uh, some extra meaning there for you.
0: Maybe, you know. <laughs> some of us might, might be third-born children.
1: I don't know. Um, Firsts forever.
0: Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Yeah. All those evil first-born children. We'll forgive you for that. Oh. <laughs> uh, so today we're talking about uh, Ender's Game, which uh, is my favorite book of all time. But it's not just that I love it. It's critically acclaimed, Hugo and Nebula award winning. So It's true.
1: It's uh, nearly 30 years old now.
0: Yes. Uh, yeah, it's.
1: It's been, been around. around for
0: a while. <laughs> uh, I wanted to mention a few notes before we go too deeply, though.
1: All right, well, so... real quick, I'll, I'll let you do that because this is your favorite book and you definitely know it better than I do. We'll, uh, you're going to run things this time around. But uh, yes. I did want to mention, so it, it's not my favorite book, but it's definitely one of them. It's definitely one of those books where whenever somebody asks me for recommendations, that's one of the first go-tos is, have you read Ender's Game? Okay, we'll go read that then I, then you can ask me for other recommendations. But go ahead and read that. And it's definitely, it's one of my favorites. It's not my favorite ever. And I read it a bit later than you did. Um, you read it, I believe, in your eighth grade year. And Getting
0: ahead of me, Michael. I'm You're sorry. Getting ahead of the I'm plan.
1: Sorry. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> I, I read it a bit later, so it wasn't part of my formative, uh, it wasn't part of my formative years, really. But it's pretty awesome. So uh, I will give the reins over to you.
2: Mhm.
0: All right. <laughs> so, uh this discussion is going to be completely spoilerific. So if you haven't read Ender's Game, please stop listening now. Um you do yourself a disservice if you spoil this book for yourself. Um yes. For those of you who have read the book but have not seen the movie, do not fear We are going to discuss the movie, but at the end of the podcast, so we will let off another spoiler warning at that time uh, so you can stop listening then. Uh, And finally, um, Michael and I are both aware of the controversy that uh, surrounds the author Orson Scott Card, uh, but we will not be discussing that on this podcast. If you would like to see how Michael and I feel about it, please check out the extremely long podcast blog post i wrote on the subject I, uh, I will
1: put a link to that in the in the show notes when i yes. put up the podcast episode yes
0: and then my opening question which michael like beat me to the punch was going to be <laughs> michael when did you first read ender's game
1: i'm so sorry um, i read it i believe it was either my senior year of high school or my freshman year of college um it was a phase i, I was trying to go through classics that i hadn't read yet and finally got around to Ender's Game and was very pleasantly surprised and very upset that my private school and middle school did not require me to read it like some of my friends did. Uh friends schools did. Um But that that was it. And then I very, very, very quickly amassed the other books in the series and tore through those.
0: Yeah, so uh as you alluded to earlier, I read it for the first time in the eighth grade. Uh, my dad had given it to me a little bit earlier i think i was in the seventh grade when he gave it to me but for some reason i i didn't trust him and didn't want to read it and i don't really know why because this is the same man who told me to read wheel of time and i did so uh so i didn't read it till eighth grade um and i remember this was only the second second book i'd ever read in my entire life that literally kept me up all night uh the first book was a goosebumps book uh (laughs) I was two chapters from the end when my parents told me it was time for bed and uh, my parents were very strict and they wouldn't let you uh, read or stay up later and they would know if you did. (laughs) Uh, So I could not sleep that that night because all I could think about was how is this book going to end? Um, And so I literally did not sleep. And then as soon as I heard uh, my parents' alarm go off that morning, I immediately started reading and finished the book. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, since then I have read it, reread it every year. It is my favorite book of all time. Uh, I, I've read all the other books in the Ender series, uh, except the latest ones centering around the Formic Wars that are written in conjunction with, um, Aaron Alliston, I want to say that may not be right though. uh, but I even read Ender in Exile, so I think that says something uh, I believe
1: about. I read Ender in Exile as well, though. So, <laughs> um, I, I read the original, the, the Ender Quartet, the Beaten Quartet, then uh, I think, uh, was it the Gifts one? Um,
0: yeah, War of Gifts. War
1: of Gifts and Ender in Exile. Ender in Exile. Um, I have not read anything else, whatever else there is.
0: Yeah, uh, Ender in Exile kind of burned me, so after that I was <laughs> not going to read anymore unless I heard good things. Um, but, yes, Ender's Game, one of my favorite books of all time. Uh, Speaker for the Dead, the direct sequel, is one of my top five favorite books. Uh, so you, you could say I'm a little
1: attached to I, this series. And I'm very much, uh, <laughs> once somebody reads Ender's Game, the next thing I tell them, if they really liked it, as most end up liking it, uh, I tell them to read Ender's Shadow and Speaker for the Dead. Because those are kind of, Ender's Shadow is mostly more of the same. Um, I feel like, or it's very similar in tone. And then Speaker read for the it. Dead is kind of a different tone. It goes off of the deeper message of Ender's Game.
0: For, for me, which I recommend someone reads next really depends on the person. Yes, um, I, yeah. I give person, they in the same year. I remember telling people to read Speaker for the Dead next and then telling the next person to read Ender's Shadow next. Right, it doesn't because you, you have to talk to them and figure out what they liked about the book,
1: you know? <laughs> it's whether you like the surface level story or the, that deeper thread, uh, you know, focusing on empathy, essentially. Right. Um, more, which we'll get to.
0: Agreed. So, um, Ender's Game, uh, I, I have my copy of, well, I have one of my copies of the book right here in front of me, so I can reference it should we need to. Uh, So, we're just going to step through it, Michael, if that's okay with you.
1: It's fine by me. Um, so, I, this, I fully expect this to be one of the few episodes where you definitely do more talking than I do.
0: So, <laughs> Uh, I'm sure you have opinions,
1: though. So. Oh, I so. do. And I will, I will share them. But I will, I will need you to guide me along to remind me of what, what scenes I have opinions of. <laughs> <On>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so the book opens up with the first chapter, and it's called Third. And before we delve too much into what the first chapter is about, I, I want to talk about the structure of each chapter. Um, because this is the first time you see that. Every chapter opens with a conversation between two people that you have no idea who it is. I mean later you start to realize who it is because they actually mention each other by name, right. but in this very first opening segment, you just have two people talking, and there's no description of who these people are, no description of what they are doing while they're talking. It is literally just dialogue, um, which was the first time I had ever come across a book that opened like that
1: it's a it, it is uh, as you know one of the bigger things in science fiction a lot of them is the kind of cognition and estrangement uh concept which is you know you introduce something that people can fully understand along with stuff that they can't um really rapidly and this to a small degree is sort of like that where it's it's definitely clearly you can follow the conversation but it's leaving out the details like any you know context and details so you're left wondering what's going on um and yeah. it, i liked it, it it's effective
0: Yeah, I mean, this this opening half a page. So in this opening segue, all we learn, we learn a ton of stuff, right? Like uh, opening segue. That doesn't even make any
1: sense. Opening Um, scene conversation scene.
0: Yes. Uh, We learn that whoever we're watching or whoever is talking believes that is watching someone and he believes he is the one. Um, And that there was a brother and a sister before this kid that both were not the one. For various reasons right um we learn there's some sort of enemy uh and they're trying to save the world i mean we, we learn a ton right here mm-hmm. um it's it's crazy uh
1: <laughs> i mean it, it essentially does it set stakes um it establishes that whoever third is it's you know probably the main character it's whoever they're talking about um, we don't know necessarily why that's significant or all the or entirely why that's significant, but we know it is. Um, so yeah.
0: So, uh, then when we go into and we meet our main character, he is a boy named, uh, Andrew Wigan. who, um, so we meet Andrew Wigan, who goes by Ender. Uh, it's what he calls himself. Uh, and we later learn that that's because when, uh, his older sister was little, she couldn't pronounce Andrew and she called him Ender. uh, And he gets this thing called a monitor removed from him, and uh, all we really know about that is is that that's how the people were watching him. Uh, And without it, people aren't watching him constantly. And the other kids in his class don't really like him, mainly one named Stilson. And we get our opening uh, fight, (laughs) which yes. Essentially, tells you all you need to know about Ender Wigan. <laughs> Uh He gets cornered by Stilson and his goons, if you can call six years old six year old kids goons, right? Because uh, they are all six years old. And that's something uh, that
1: is going to be a common thread in this. Is something you can forget is how young the characters are in this book, and it's kind of kind of crazy um, in a good way.
0: Agreed. And I guess before I to, to touch on that subject, um, I, I've known people to read the book as adults or, uh, you know, late in college or whatever and read it and think, yeah, but kids don't really think like that. So that was hard for I, me to get I, into you it. You and, and I have I, spoken
1: about this before. Yeah,
0: we, we have <laughs> spoken about it before. and But as someone who read it as a kid, granted, I was uh, 13 when I read it, which uh, is only two years older than Ender is at the end of this book. I remember everything and I remember thinking everything in here made complete sense. And I totally believed a kid would think like this because I thought like this. I mean, not I'm not a genius, but right.
1: it, And it's something that, you know, you and I have talked about before where I don't really think the way that you think changes that like the, the core mechanisms with which you think change that much, or at least they didn't for me either. You just get better at it. Um, because yes. the, the argument that I would make for a lot of people who read this as adults and like, but kids don't think that way. like, well, do you think about think that way now? Because you probably don't if you think kids don't think that way. Like, you right. either did then or you don't now, most likely. I mean, I'm sure you can change the way you think, but but the way that I think now is really just a product of how I thought as a child and it is more or less the same. I just am better at it and faster at it. <laughs> um,
0: agreed. So, so, uh, Going back to the fight, basically, Andrew, Ender, sorry, why would I call him Andrew? Uh, Ender gets uh, cornered by these other kids who essentially don't like him because he is a third, uh, which is the name of the chapter. And uh, I don't think we learn exactly why being a third is bad in this chapter, but we learn it very soon that this is a world where there is population control and everyone's only allowed to have two kids. And Ender is a third-born child who is allowed and was allowed to his parents by special government sanction uh, because his older siblings were so close to whatever it was the government needed that we don't really know about yet uh, that they thought, well, if we give them one more chance, maybe the next kid will be what we need. Right. And turns out that is the case. <laughs>
1: and essentially, I mean, culturally speaking, the thing I really like about this is it, the resentment totally makes sense. To me, um, it makes sense that if people aren't allowed to have thirds very often, that you would have a lot of people resenting people who are thirds or who have thirds, Um, that there would be some ostracism there. Uh, I, I just it seems like a realistic sort of cultural dynamic to me.
0: And, you know, kids will pick on whatever they can. Yeah. So it makes complete sense that these other six year olds would be like, oh, we're all first and second borns and you're a third. Like, mm-hmm. that's that's so different. Like they they have they probably don't know anyone else in the entire world who is a third except Ender. Uh so it's so outside of their realm of existence that of course they would latch onto that and pick on him. So Stilson, this boy, does that with some of his goons, as I said, and Ender basically goads him into fighting one on one because Ender is not very big. Um uh, which is something That's, you know, mentioned a lot. He's always up against people who are bigger than him, it seems like. uh, Because physically, Ender's not a big guy. Right. At any age. Uh, So he goes Stilson into fighting him by himself. And then he does. And uh, I...
1: This is... So he then... He beats him. But he doesn't just beat him. He continues to beat him. And I I still remember from the very first time I read it, is just he keeps kicking the kid while he's down. And... It's just... It's really, really visceral. Um, and, you know, you've already gotten enough of an insight that it's not like... It doesn't seem like Ender is a wicked kid or anything, but... No. But this, you know, it it really does... It kind of gives you an insight into why Ender is so important. Um, Agreed. And it's just... What...
0: And then you, you understand that he didn't enjoy doing this. Like, he did it, and he understood. That's what, and one of the things about Ender is he didn't, it wasn't that he didn't understand what he was doing. He understood that kicking someone while they're down is not considered a, a thing people should do. And right. he did it anyway. And then at the end of the chapter, when he gets back on, when he goes home, and I think he's on, like, uh, let me look. Yeah, he's, like, on the bus. And he just cries the entire way home. Uh, he this. He did not enjoy it. He's not a wicked kid. This is not something he he took joy or got high off of. He hates himself that he did this. Um, And uh, the last line of the book is like, I am just like Peter. Take my monitor away. I am just like Peter. And we don't really know anything about Peter. Yeah, sorry, end of the chapter. Uh, <laughs> you said end of
1: the book. I was like, whoa, leaping a little bit. <laughs> not
0: the end of the book, end of the chapter. Uh, we don't know anything about Peter at this point other than Ender clearly right. doesn't want to be like him and he's clearly cruel. Uh, if beating someone like that is something Ender thinks Peter would do. Well,
1: um, and so going on this, on this one scene before we really progress more, um, part of the thing that's so significant about this is A, it shows you that he is calculating He's extremely calculating. Mm-hmm. He sees what needs to be done to essentially get these people to continue to leave him alone. Um, but he's not a sociopath. Because a sociopath is essentially calculating, does what's convenient, and doesn't understand... Like, just doesn't conceptualize ramifications. They go beyond just, you know, essentially by the numbers or what is what is good for you. Uh, and Ender doesn't. Like, the, the breakdown is important. Um, so... Because it shows that no, he 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 did this because he knew it needed to be done, or he decided it needed to be, and he hates the fact that he did it, and can recognize it and followed through with it, um, which is,
3: you know, it, it gives him a lot of depth right away.
0: Yeah. So the last chapter leaves us hanging, wondering who this Peter is. And then, of course, the next chapter is called Peter. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And what's interesting is uh, in the talk beforehand, uh, there is some concern in the the talking heads, who we have no idea who they are, about what Peter might do to Ender now that the monitor is off. So this is not just a six-year-old kid who's afraid of someone who maybe isn't that scary. Right. This right. this is a six year old kid who's afraid of someone that the adults are kind of afraid of. Not not of what this kid will do to them, but of what this kid will do to Ender. So essentially, fear his is, fear is
1: not unfounded.
0: Right. As Agreed. fear
1: as fears of children can be, <laughs> his fear is not in this case.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, this, and then when we get to the Ender section of this chapter, uh, it throws us right into this whole sequence with Peter, Ender, and Valentine. And these are the siblings that we meet. And the dynamic done in these couple of pages, these opening chapters are not very long, basically defines the dynamic of their family for the rest of the book. Like, everything we need to know about these characters, we learn right here. Valentine is the one who loves uh, Ender, like regardless and uh, is just there for him. And Peter hates Ender, not, not just irrationally though. It's, he hates Ender because of what Ender represents to, to him. That because he wasn't good enough, that's Ender why exists. his parents got a third. Right. Yeah. If he had been good enough, there would be no Ender. So Ender's very existence is a constant reminder that he wasn't good enough. And then we get this opening sequence that shows you how incredibly intelligent These children are because Peter plays a game with Ender, uh, buggers versus humans. And over the course of this, we are learning that there are these bad aliens called buggers. We're really still not sure much about them. Uh, but, or it's astronauts versus buggers or something like that. (laughs) Uh, Peter gets to be the astronaut. Ender gets to be the bugger. And at one point, Peter has Ender down like on his back and is like leaning on his sternum. And, uh, I don't remember what the exact line is, but Peter says something like, um, I could kill you like this and claim it was an accident and people would believe me. I could say, I didn't know that much pressure would snap his sternum and, you know, right. uh, you know, and, and everyone would believe him. And then Valentine comes in and says, no, they wouldn't because I have some letter somewhere in a safe that says that if something mysterious happens to us, uh, we, it would, it's your fault. and uh i think she says something like you want to be a politician one day if that comes up like if people see that you'll never get to be what you want to be uh and it's basically this dynamic of the only thing keeping valentine and Ender safe is the fact that peter does want to take over the world one day uh he's
1: play like they're these kids are they're playing the long game which is you know it, it, again like you said they, they're really really smart yes yeah.
0: i'm pretty uh. sure that that oh yeah that is in this i was i was just double checking that that's in this section because i was like that could be in a later section with valentine and the squirrel but uh oh, no the the, the the paragraph is uh because Valentine's asked our Valentine says, "Because you want to be in the government someday, you want to be elected, and they won't elect you if your opponents can dig up the fact that your brother and sister both died in suspicious accidents when they were little. Um, so yeah, these kids are not very old, but all three of them are playing the long game, like you said right. like it's it's crazy um, And then at the end of the chapter, we have Peter apologizing to Ender, and I have never known how I feel about that, like every time I read it i'm just like. I don't know. Like, is Peter, part of me believes Peter's playing Ender, and part of me is like, no, this is the real Peter, like... Peeking
1: through. <laughs> I, yes. I, I want to believe that it's the real <laughs> Peter peeking through. Like, he is so aggravated with the whole, his own failure, that he puts on a front where that is the only thing he represents most of the time. Um, I mean, I guess that's how I feel, and we'll get to it later, but I feel like the, the rest, you know, the way things continue bears that out. Um, but it could also be that he's playing Ender because he is smart, and he could totally be doing that, and maybe the, the and thoughts- he
0: knows he doesn't know that Ender's going to be taken away by the i f no. so he's thinking he has to live with this kid, you know, right. so yeah i I mean, we learn in later books that Peter does learn to be less of a sociopath right. um, <laughs> so I mean, it's possible this is the real Peter peeking through, and, and it's if possible you want he's to find out about even that longer game.
1: If you want to find out about that, finish Ender's Game, then read Speaker for the Dead. I mean, you shouldn't oh, not be not Speaker for the Dead, not Speaker for the Dead, Ender's Shadow, Ender's Shadow. Oh, you're right. Well, that and Speaker for the Dead helps too. But yeah, no, Ender's Shadow first. Not you're for right. Peter. Not for Peter. Peter
0: is the Shadow of the Hegemon, Shadow puppets. Shadow
1: you're right. Yeah. Right. Well, so specifically Ender's Shadow, but to see how how he's see like how that plays out long game, like post Peter. I, th- I feel like Speaking for the Dead gives a lot of insight into Ender's views on things. Um, Agreed. But Which gives you a lot of insight into things, because he thinks about Peter a lot. As he probably should. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Peter is the... Well, we'll get to that later. Yes, we'll we'll yes, we see will. How, how deeply Peter is ingrained. Both Peter and Valentine are incredibly deeply ingrained on Ender's psyche, and as someone who is a third-born child, uh, that resonated a lot with me the first time i read this not that my older siblings are crazy evil or trying to kill me but who i am is a direct reflection of who they are uh and it's different for firstborn children because you guys get a little more exploratory figure out who you are i I honestly don't understand
1: what that's like i i don't i don't get it i can see a little bit of my parents in me like not a little bit i can definitely see a good bit of my parents in me but none of my developments from my brother like i I don't (laughs) so i i don't like, Where, I guess whereas I am a,
0: I am a direct reflection of who my older siblings are. Like half of the decisions I made or things I did growing up were because of things my older siblings did. Uh, whether it was to be like them or not be like them, which is exactly like Ender, because Ender's always thinking, "Would Peter do this?" You know, uh, right? And that's a thing he doesn't want to do if Peter would do it. Uh, so yeah, I mean, the first time I read this, I was. I was just sucked in because I was like, I know exactly what this feels like to to be third and have two older siblings almost in the same pattern, right? Because I have an older sister, then a brother, and then me, a sister. So me and the oldest are the same gender. It's it's just, yeah. It's it's, actually
1: a, a thing that makes me, that I've thought about before is if my parents had had a third child, because my brother and I are so different in so many ways. So it's a really interesting thought for me to think about how a third kid would have turned out. But uh, but it didn't happen. So no big deal. Right.
0: So in the next chapter, um, the military come, which we call the international fleet, comes to get Ender. And everyone thought Ender failed. Uh, They thought when he got the monitor off, that meant he was out of the program. But then Graf, who we, uh, uh, I don't think we learn yet if he's one of the talking heads at the beginning, but eventually we do learn he is, um, comes and gets Ender. And Graf and the I.F. understand that uh, Valentine is the weak link here that could keep Ender from not wanting to go. But they use that against him also, because as we learn in this chapter, there's a threat of aliens coming. uh, And if the aliens come, they'll destroy the Earth and Valentine will die, (laughs) Right. (laughs) which is enough of a logic to get Ender to want to go. Not to mention the fact that Ender is a third born child and therefore a stigma on his family uh though his parents love him and want him his presence makes them other
1: uh and from at the least, rest of society and at least the fact that if he's up at you know battle school or you know if he's actually doing something that could potentially help humanity then that might help reduce it a bit plus he won't be there so right as a constant right. reminder. no
0: one will see him there and as we learn much later uh The parents even move after that. So it's like the new place they go, there is no knowledge of Ender, you know? So they are never a weird family. Uh, So, yeah, it's... We learn Ender was pretty much going to go to the school regardless because it was what he was born for. But Graf does want him to come willingly. Right? Uh, They need Ender and they need him to want to do this. So that's why they manipulate him into volunteering, even though he has no choice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the next chapter is the, they go to, uh, launch and, uh, this is the interesting sequence where they're on the ship to go to battle school. Cause battle school is in space. Right. Right. So cool. And, uh, Graf immediately singles Ender out. Uh, so so they get to space. Uh, all of the kids are like wanting to throw up and puke. And because uh, they're suddenly in zero G and they're six and they don't know how to handle this. And Graf comes in and he's standing at a different angle from all of them. And Ender just like starts laughing. Graf's like, what do you think so funny? And Ender makes a comment about how there is no up or down in space, which is true. And a lot of Hollywood people today still don't understand that. True. Uh, <laughs> uh And I Graf makes basically a ton of comments like Ender is the only smart one here. The rest of you are going to be wiping toilets when Ender is commanding fleets and basically singles him out to seem like he's better than everybody else, which makes everybody else hate him.
1: He's painting a target on Ender. Exactly.
0: Uh, and which we've learned through some of the talking head discussions that, uh, Um, they want Ender in isolation because he, he, he's a little kid. He wants uh, grownups and other people to solve his problems, but he needs to solve his own problems. Uh, so on the flight, the other kids start picking on him and one's like hitting him in the back of the head or throwing things at him or something. And Ender just takes it, timing it. And then at the right time, grabs that kid, throws him forward and ends up breaking his arm. Uh, which kind of makes everybody else a little little afraid of him.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And it's, and that's just Uh, a repeat. It's, you know, the second time we really see something that's much like the, the first incident where he'll, he'll sit there. He'll think about how to respond before he does it. And then he'll execute.
0: Yeah. And it, and it's a calculated decision, you know? Uh, so yeah, he makes it to launch school. I mean, they make it to battle school through this launch and basically Ender's stuck with all of these kids, uh, they, they are his uh, launchy class, which is basically, like, your your class that you start with and you get trained with initially. Uh, so they're not off to a good start. Um, so I feel like I'm talking a lot, Michael. You I are. Just,
1: just talk. You are, and I'm commenting, <laughs> but it's just, like, I, I, I don't remember it as vividly. So as soon as you say things, I remember it all, but it's but the the details have uh i mean like it, essentially it, I, yeah i mean we're going through the story and i'm i'm commenting i promise
2: <laughs> um <laughs> yeah
0: all right so in the next chapter uh they get to their their like bunk their laundry room and basically it just continues this cycle of Ender being smarter than everybody else and being isolated for it because Ender right. figures out like how to open the... the uh, I want to say the bureau first, but it's not a bureau. It's like a
1: hole what? in the wall. It's like their closet. Their personal uh, closet, so each, yeah.
0: Yeah, they each have a personal closet, and Ender figures out how to open up and lock it first. And their sergeant guy is like... Dap is like, ha! Ha! see, Ender's smarter than the rest of you, blah blah blah, and everybody's like, ah, I hate
1: you, Ender. Well, and something Um, significant about this is that, you know, it's not just that he's he's smarter than everybody else, being shown to be smarter than everybody else, being isolated for it, but he's also not... Despite the fact that he doesn't like being in isolation, he's not willing to feign stupidity or feign ignorance just to avoid being singled out. Like, he just will continue and do the smart things that he that he's, thinks of doing and uh, making the comments right. that he needs to. Like, he's, he's not going to hide something just because other people are hurt by the fact that he's smarter than them, um, which doesn't right endear now. him to others right uh, now. Right.
0: right. Yeah, I, I, things change in the future, which is that Inder begins to realize the human factors of right. life. Right. But for right now, he's just doing his thing and he's not he's not thinking right now about how his actions cause people to like or dislike him. He's not used to having to think about those things Uh, and he's not thinking about how these things are important. And what causes him to think about this is in this chapter is he's at lunch or dinner or whatever, a meal, and he's eating by himself. And another big kid who's in um, army comes to him. And basically starts saying, "Don't let them single you out like this, because you're going to end up like me, which is like a washout. Like I'm not going to command school." And it's basically this big kid who's a complete failure. And uh, Ender is like, "Crap, I don't want to be like that. Uh, when I, that's not why I'm here. I'm not right. here to get to to fail. I am here to succeed, and I cannot let." M- I, I cannot be isolated from everybody else because that is not how you succeed. Uh, so then Ender is like, I have to fix this problem. Uh, so he does. Uh, well, not at first, but um, so before, before I get ahead of myself, I want to mention uh, there's this great scene where Ender goes into the game room, not the, not the battle room, um, he, he goes into a room that's basically like an arcade and he watches the big kids play and then he plays and he loses the first game cause he's trying to understand how the controllers work. Right. Uh, but then he wins like the next two and all the big kids like hate him <laughs> cause here's this little kid who just came, who's six and all the big kids are like 10 or 11, uh, and Ender comes in and is just wipes the floor with them. Granted, this is not a game that's superly important to them, because the only game that matters is the battle room, as Ender will learn. But it still just shows how quickly he grasps things. Ender, even in the school of geniuses, Ender is special.
1: Right. Um, and something here, though, and of course this is kind of a, a personal thing, but it's the kind of thing where you don't want, if you learn that, winning or beating people or consider consistently being shown to be smarter is hurting your endearment or how easily people get endeared to you the solution isn't to not show how smart you are the solution is to add something else in your communication or in your interactions with people to get them to like you anyways or bring people into it or you know or help others instead of just doing your own thing um which
0: is what ender does later this chapter exactly when uh, so Bernard is the kid whose arm he broke, uh, and there's this other kid in their group called Shen who apparently his butt does something weird when he walks. I I don't really know. I don't <laughs> understand. Uh, little kids will make fun of anything. Yeah. Uh, so they they have this way of like basically instant messaging all of the other essentially iPads everybody else has in their class. Um, which, granted, remember this book was written in like 1984. Yeah. Before instant messaging and iPads so uh or the internet, which is a huge I mean I guess a proto web existed, but uh not the internet as we have it today uh, so Bernard is making fun of him, and uh, Ender figures out basically when you send an instant message, everybody knows who it is because it tags your name uh so Ender figures out how to make basically like a fake student, and he calls that student God. And he starts, like, sending out messages that make fun of Bernard. Um, But then he also figures out how to make a uh, username that will seem like it's coming from Bernard. Uh, So, basically, he taunts Bernard back. He breaks into the system, taunts Bernard back to uh, make friends. And in the end of the chapter, basically, he's made friends with Shen. And that is the outcome of this. Mm-hmm. So he is no longer alone. Uh yeah.
1: I, so I don't have anything to comment on that? I mean that's true. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> uh but this isn't the end of his isolation completely, right? Because right now Ender has only made a friend with like the other reject in the group. Right. Uh, and Ender is here to win, right? So to win, you can't just get the rejects behind you. You have to get everyone behind you. Um you have to be a true leader. So they get uh, taken to the battle room next as their next training. And they kind of have to learn how to operate in Zero-G. So Graf kind of throws them all in there. They're all kind of uh, floating around willy-nilly. And this is when we're introdu- introduced to, um, I guess it's pronounced Ally. I always pronounce it Ali because apparently I can't read. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's a lie. <laughs> um, so... Ali is friends with Bernard. He's essentially, Bernard is, like, the bully, but Ali is, like, Ali is, like, the cool kid uh, that everyone's kind of friends with. Right. And, uh, except Ender, because Ender's, you know. Not friends with anybody patient. yet. Yeah. Uh, and Ender uses this opportunity in the battle room to make friends with Ali. Basically, they figure out how to get Ender goes up next to all they figure out how to operate in the battle room like they're, they're just figuring out zero zero g and they happen to be next to each other you know um and then they're like what do these guns do so they start shooting all their other classmates and it's basically like this male bonding experience right <laughs> um and by the end of that they're friends and so I uh, what's and what's interesting is that when they're freezing people Uh, They don't freeze Bernard and Shen. So it's the four of them freezing everybody else. And in that, they have become like a unit. Uh, So Ender has bridged the gap between the two groups, which shows he's not just like this was exactly what Ender wanted. Right. Right. He's not just good at games and not just good at figuring out strategy when it comes to things. He's good at figuring out strategy when it comes to people,
1: too. Right.
0: And I mean, it's brilliant.
1: And and again, it's the thing that shows he's not a sociopath. He understands people. He just has to, you know, but it's a, a, it's a real understanding of people. And at the same time, he's got this whole undercurrent of what the smart thing to do is at a given time, even if it's brutal and, you know, is not what others would do. Um, So, yeah.
0: Uh, Then at the end of this chapter, we're introduced to the giant's drink. And it's not super important right now, other than, uh... It's impossible to win. Right. Uh, well, I guess no. He does beat it in this game. Okay, so it's the giant's drink is this thing that's impossible to win. The giant puts down two different drinks, uh, and either one you choose, the game is going to make it so that you die. Um, it's not meant to be win to to be won, and it's supposed to teach about like not being able to win. And if you keep doing it, it's supposed to say you're suicidal because uh, this the point of the fantasy game, which is the game that Enders is playing, is to give the com- that the adults running the school a glimpse into the students' minds. But the problem is they don't always understand the outcome of the fantasy game as right. it is. Uh, so Ender being the person who has to win that he is, is like, I'm not satisfied with this ending of I'm going to die regardless of either drink. I, I drink, there should be a way to win. So he basically kills the giant. Like he's this little mouse. He goes in this giant's eye, gouges it out, kills him. And, um, what the giant had always said is if you choose the right drink, you'd get to go to fairyland, but the game has no fairyland. Right. Um, until Ender comes out of the giant's eye and is like suddenly welcomed into fairyland. And, uh, Ender stops playing at that point. Um, because he's a little bit disturbed (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that he just killed this giant. Uh, the line is, um, he hadn't meant to kill the giant. This was supposed to be a game, not a choice between his own grisly death and an even worse murder. I'm a murderer, even when I play. Peter would be proud of me. Um, yeah, so <laughs> even in a game, he didn't want to do that. I mean, he did because he, he wanted to win, but he feels that you're right. He's not a sociopath. He's not like Peter. Peter cannot. Peter is more the sociopath who can't understand other people's feelings. He can use them, but he doesn't have them himself ender understands other people's feelings and has feelings uh so yeah but it but it shows even though he doesn't want to do these things he does always want to win and when that's what ender is about he is about winning um
3: yeah which is why the if wants him yeah
0: (laughs) um so of course now that ender has friends and he's happy you can't stay that way, right? This this is not what Battle School is for. It's not for making kids happy. Uh, <laughs> no, it, it's so, about
1: training the next generation of warriors to win this war for humanity.
0: Right. I mean, but but as we learned through, uh, you know, the, the the adults talking and some other things that happen in the book, Ender is being treated like a special case. Like normally, they don't do that to launchy groups where they isolate one student and make the rest of the group hate them. And then that student has to repair the group. Normally they want launchy groups to band together. Uh, so yeah, finally things are going good for Ender. He has this best friend, Alai, who's smart and cool and everything is good. So, so what happens?
1: They take him away. Ender
0: gets, Ender gets promoted. <laughs> he gets assigned to Salamander army, um, oh. which is unheard of for someone as young as Ender to do that. Ender is just a launchy. Uh, Usually launchy classes are graduated together. So basically there's always a flood at the same time of new students to all of the armies. Uh, So all of the armies are dealing with new students at the same time and it's not unfair to anybody. Um, But Ender is the only one being graduated. So when he gets to Salamander army, needless to say his new commander is not happy about this.
1: Uh, not that he would be happy about much in pretty much any case, but...
0: Uh, no, I, I, Bonzo would have been... Ha- he did not want a Lonji. I think he would have been happy with anyone who wasn't a uh, That That's the thing about Bonzo. A- happy who is is a,
1: I don't know if we're using the same definition of happy. He would have been maybe less uh, antagonistic if it was somebody otherwise, but I don't know that anything could really make Bonzo happy.
0: <laughs> I See, but I don't think that's true at this point. At this point, Bonzo is not... Bonzo is the leader of a decent army. Like, I mean, he's as crazy as every other student at battle school. As over the course, we learned that every battle school kid has their brand of crazy. Um, But Bonzo's wants to win. That's why he's here. Like, that's why every kid is there to win. Ender takes it to the extreme. But, uh, and instead he feels like he gets this unfair card dealt to him, which is he is the only freaking person who's getting a launchy. Like, that is not how it works and he knows it's not how it works and he's mad about it um but of course if he was smarter he'd be like
1: but if he was smarter he'd be like wait a minute they're promoting a launchy (laughs) like you know it'd be like what is special about this kid because clearly something has to be but uh but he's he's not quite that smart
0: (laughs) it's because he's pissed i i think he could be that smart if he wasn't so angry but he is pissed about it um and it's in Salamander Army that we meet Petra. Um, I don't know how to say her last name. I think it's Arcanin, but I don't think that's right. Yeah. I, don't uh,
1: I, I never <laughs> even came up with one in my head.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, Ender's kind of looking for a friend. And he meets Petra, who uh, is one of the few girls at battle school. Uh, there are not a lot of girls at battle school because of the testing that they have to do to get there. Uh, they're looking for a certain level of aggression, and uh, girls according to this book, aren't as aggressive generally as guys. So, uh, not as many girls get in. Girls still do. And Petra is a perfect example of that. Um, Bonzo is basically like, I don't want to train this kid. I don't want to deal with him. I don't have time for it. Uh, and Petra kind of takes Ender under her wing. Um, mainly, I think she doesn't like Bonzo at this point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And that's why, so she kind of does it to spit in his face. Um, I mean, Bonzo hits her at one point, so Bonzo is a little crazy. Clearly, there's uh,
1: there's not really very much uh love lost between the two of them.
0: No. Uh so yeah, she takes him to the battle room, teaches him how to shoot, and uh she kind of explains the conundrum of the battle room too, which is uh something I don't think we really thought about before we got to this point, is that there are multiple battle rooms in the middle of this rotating uh
1: Uh, Station?
0: Station. And the station connects to it at certain points without losing gravity, and the battle room always maintains gravity. And Orson Scott Card's way of not explaining it is to say that, you know, it's a conundrum and we don't understand how it works. Um, But, but the way he says it makes it seem like clearly there's somebody who does understand how it works somewhere, an adult or something. It's just the kids who don't. Right. And I just remember reading that when I was younger and being completely baffled and being like, oh my gosh, <laughs> how does this work? <laughs> um, so yeah, we get these, um, Petra trains him a little bit, but she doesn't have a lot of time to deal with the laundry. right? Like... What is She She has to do her own training and right. schoolwork. I mean, despite everything, they, they are taking classes. <laughs> right. They don't, they don't focus on them much. Um, and she has to go to training with Bonzo. And Ender's not allowed to train. He, he has to sit there and work on his homework while they're training because Bonzo doesn't want to deal with him. So Ender's brilliant thought is, well, I have free time and I have a whole bunch of friends in my launchy group who I bet would kill to know all the things I know now. Uh, because, you know, by this point, I think Ender like witnessed a game uh, and he's been watching Bonzo's practices. So Ender comes up with this idea of, I will practice with the launchies. So he essentially becomes like commander of the launchies, takes them to the battle room, uh, and they they do practices. Um, and Bonzo freaks out about it. He doesn't like the idea of Ender practicing with launchies and or basically going behind his back to get trained and Ender is all rational and like, but how do you think I'm going to learn anything if you don't train me? And if you don't want to train me, I need to train sometime and you can't control what I do during free time. Though so that's not entirely true because, you know, like any group where there's peer pressure and hazing, your commander
1: can right. influence, but you essentially do, you, do you don't have the time. authority to say I can't do it. Right.
0: Um and Inder's kicker and in his argument is if I have training, you will be able to trade me faster, which they both know is what uh, Bonzo wants. So, but Bonzo told Ind gave the command that Inder couldn't train with the launches in front of the rest of the army. So, he can't re- take back that order now because he needs to save face. So, Inder comes up with this whole thing. He's like, "Okay, I will go back and pretend I lost this argument and you can come in tomorrow and say, Ender, I changed my mind. And then you will seem generous and without losing your command. And this is a brilliant plan and Bonzo does it, but he never forgives Ender for this. Right. Because Ender basically is a six-year-old kid who out-thought him him and made him feel stupid. And he just can't handle that. Luckily, Ender gets traded shortly thereafter to Rat Army. Yes,
3: um, which is a good thing. Uh,
0: at Rat Army, we meet Dink Meeker. Oh Dink. I love Dink. <laughs> Everyone loves Dink. Everyone loves Dink. Uh, <laughs> so Ender gets the Rat Army, and he's immediately struck by how different it is from Salamander. Bonzo was crazy, but he was very uh, orderly. And it was like he was running an army. Uh, The leader of Rat Army... um,
3: I don't remember his name.
2: Um.
0: Uh, Rose De Nose. That's what it is. (laughs) That's right. Uh, He... Basically ha- doesn't even care what the people in his army do. So he's, run- it, he's not running it very tightly. And Ender doesn't understand why he was traded into this army. He's like, why would Rose want me? Um, until he meets Dink Meeker and learns that Dink requested Ender. Um, oh, I completely forgot the, the game where Ender broke Bonzo's
1: command. Yes, um, we we did skip that. I was like, wait a minute. Sorry. I think we're getting out of order here, but I don't I'm not confident enough to call Mandy out on it. <laughs>
0: no, no. No, we're out of order. Sorry. <laughs> I I just skipped over it. Um So basically Ender is number 1 in the standings when he's traded. And the reason why he's number 1 in the standings is because he wasn't allowed to participate in games. He had to go in last. And uh basically there was a game where uh Bonzo was losing, Salamander was losing, and Ender was just, like, floating through the room, and he ended up behind the army they were competing against, and he just started shooting people and putting them out of commission. Uh, and everyone on the opposing army thought he was just a dead guy floating. Or not not dead, you know what I mean. Yeah, um, he, he
1: was out already.
0: Out of the game. Uh, So, and everyone thought this was a brilliant plan by Bonzo to hold Ender to the last moment, but really, Ender was directly disobeying Uh, Bonzo's command. And Bonzo would rather have lost than be saved by Ender. Um, Especially because his
1: entire team knows he never gave that order.
0: Exactly. So it's like rubbing salt in the wound. Um, But Ender doesn't learn. He learned how to shoot from Petra so he was pretty good at it. So he did uh, a good job. And I think they won that game because of Ender. I'm pretty Uh, sure that's true. So Basically, Bonzo is still, he's furious. That's all you really need to know about Bonzo. Bonzo equal furious. Uh, (laughs) But because Ender is number one in the standings, he's able to be traded. And Ender's worried that that's the only reason why Rose wanted him. But Dink is like, look, I know the situation. Like, I I know uh, that you weren't supposed to do that. And um, I'm okay with it. Uh, And Dink is his tune leader, so every army is divided into smaller subgroups called tunes. Um, And Dink runs his tune completely different from how uh, the rest of uh, Rat Army is run. Right. It's really Uh, it's
1: it's more regimented. It's run like somebody who knows what they're doing is running things.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And uh, so this is the time when Ender. When this is the first time where Dink explains to Ender that everyone at, ba- his theory that everyone at battle school is crazy and that the adults are the enemy.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, which up to this point, I, Ender's kind of learning that because graph and Dap were doing things that he felt were unnecessary, but Ender still wanted to trust adults. Um, but he learns that even though Dink seems normal, Dink has his own crazy and everyone at battle school is super stressed and super crazy
1: all the time uh it's kind of an incubator for crazy too because if you're yeah. crazy and you're around a bunch of other crazy people you're probably just going to get more crazy
3: yep yep so um
0: there's this whole thing where uh you know inder's still running his launchy practice uh and dink's actually cool with it because he's like "Huh, ah, that seems like a good a good idea um But there are some threats on, like, launchies who attend, so um, basically it becomes afraid that salamander people might start beating up launchies, Um, and Ender basically ends up defusing it with, um, oh, I don't remember.
1: (laughs) I don't remember either. I was waiting for you to say it, and I'm like, I'm sure I'll remember once she says this.
0: Oh, that's right. Um, So the other big kids come to like beat them up and Ender had taught them a formation, uh, and they go Nova. Um, and, uh, I, I, I remember why I remember this. It's not even because of this section It's because of another section where this is referenced. Um, and it makes it hard for the, uh, bigger kids to grab them. And I think some of kids get hurt, like bigger kids get hurt by little kids hitting them hard. Um, and, uh, It makes Ender upset because he's hurting people and uh, he's not cool with that. And he, um, yeah, it, there, there are a lot, the importance of this sequence though is one Ender thought of a plan that got out of the situation with, he basically won the situation. Two, in order to do it, he had to hurt people, uh, which he hates doing. And uh, three, Ender is the commander of these launchies. He's not officially a commander, but these launchies will do whatever he says.
1: Um, and clearly, they end up better for it. <laughs> like he's yeah. not just the commander; he's a good one. So
0: agreed. Um. So one other thing I want to mention uh, is the fantasy game again before we go into the next chapter, because the next chapter completely switches modes in the book.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, so by this point, Ender has gone into fantasy land. And he's like, follow the path and he finds a playground where children are playing. And uh, then they turn into wolves and kill him. So, what he ends up doing is like killing these children one by one in a river. And he does it every time. And it's still like traumatic to him every time that he basically kills these kids in cold blood. Um, Even though he knows they'll become wolves. Right. And kill him. Yeah. Uh, But once he does that, he's able to go on to a castle. Yeah. and when he's in there, he sees a, a rug that has, like, a snake head on it, but then it becomes a snake. And so what he does is kill the snake. Uh, and then when he looks into the mirror at the back of the wall, he sees his reflection, but it's not him. It's Peter. And in Peter's mouth is, like, the snake. Uh, and it freaks him out, understandably. Yes. Because uh, he's like, oh, my God, I'm turning into Peter. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't want to play again. Um, and this freaks out the adults. Uh, so the next chapter is called Lock and Democenes. Uh And the opening uh, conversation with the adults is one of the longest adult conversations we've had by this point. Um, and they're basically freaking out because, one, Fairyland doesn't exist. No one ever programmed in fantasy, Fairyland. Um, so the computer and Ender are kind of creating it together without Ender knowing. Right. Uh, And two, how the heck did the game get a picture of Peter? Because it is not a picture of what Peter looked like when Ender left. It is a picture of what Peter looks like now. Uh, And there's no way the computer should have access, like should know that. Um, So yeah. So
1: pretty darn freaky to them. (laughs) Which is good because it's kind of calling attention to the fact that, like, from our perspective, it's like I don't know that computers work that way, um, and they're like, "How is this happening?" <laughs> so right,
0: right. So then the next chapter takes us away from Battle School and it takes us back to Valentine and Peter, who uh, the family has moved to uh, South Carolina, North Carolina, In Carolina, North Carolina. One of the Carolinas. I think it is, um, and. They go to school, Peter and Valentine, like normal, good kids, and they behave like normal, good kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) uh, Their parents kind of know that Peter was a psychopath, but theoretically, he's gotten better since they moved. Uh, At least externally,
1: behaviorally, since once Ender left, kind of.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, Some of it. And part of that's Peter playing the long game, like we said earlier, right? right? Uh, you've got to be a good kid to take over the world. Uh, people aren't going to vote for you if you're a psychopath, or at least if they know you're a psychopath. Um, so Valentine still knows Peter is a psychopath. She finds like dead squirrels, like skinned alive in the woods around their house. <laughs> and she knows it's Peter. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of disturbing. Um And she and Peter comes to her and is basically like, all these crazy things are going on in the world and I want to affect it. And Valentine's like, you're crazy. We're like 10. (laughs) I think they are like 10 and 12 at this point. Yeah. Uh, Because and. uh, Basically, he convinces their father to give them, I guess the way the Internet works in this world is that it knows who you are uh, and you're either a kid or adult. (laughs) And if you're a kid, you don't have access to everything adults have. So Peter wants an adult access to the system and his parents are understandably um, hesitant to give that kind of access. Uh, But then Peter plays the, but I'm just trying to be good and I might go back to my old habits card. And his parents are like, no. (laughs) So they get him adult access. Um, There are a couple of threatening discussions in this chapter, too, between Valentine and Peter, where Peter threatens her life a couple of times. And Valentine's like, if you kill me, everyone will know about it because I have all of these plans. Um, But then in the end, what ends up happening is. Peter and Valentine um, make these online personas for themselves, adult personas uh, that. Are politicians, or I guess they're orators at this point. They're not politicians yet. Right. That people start listening to. Uh, they make Locke and Demosthenes. Uh, Which so let's, let's those step names- back
1: just a minute. Um, okay. Just to say that, you know, it's it, like, I, of course, this captured me when I was reading it and stuff, but, but you kind of, at this point, you have to take into account when it was written. Um, because in this day and age, you know, now that we know how the, how society actually responds to the kind of, you know, to anonymous blog writing and speech writing and whatnot on the internet, we know that things wouldn't really play out the way things do here, but that's okay. And so just, you know, suspending your disbelief goes a long way. I feel like,
0: Um, I don't know. I, (laughs) I I feel like I don't have to suspend my disbelief with that because I, this is the future. It's a different world. Um, It's a world where there's very much a lot of government control. Uh, And I could see why people would take people who feel the need to be anonymous, to express opinions seriously.
1: Um, I guess what I'm more going at is you would have to have less speech out there than we already do on the internet in order for theirs to be able to sort of bubble to the top which we'll get to because just so much things can just get lost in the mix now and do and it's it takes a lot for someone who is anonymous to be taken seriously for any extended period of time on the internet um and it's just a different you know different thing like their their internet equivalent is not limp; it does not function in the same way that ours does uh, it, it, it does
0: not function in the same way ours does, but they, I i don't know the way they do it. Like I believe it because they, they do throw away names at first and then they settle on their real names. And I guess there are certain forums that are taken more seriously because this is not our internet. Fine. Right. Uh, this is another internet. Um, and they're both, they're both brilliant. So I, I they write th- things that are immensely quotable
1: what i what i mean is that i for the thing the the things that happen in this book along this line uh along these lines really what it will come down to is and the impression that i got from their internet is you would need a much narrower and more focused internet than we have which is what they have in their book um it's just that that's not how ours developed um because you would essentially need a few specific Agreed. places that are taken more seriously where you have the, you know, the thought that this very intelligent conversation that can bubble to the top without, um, in ways that it's just our internet is too decentralized almost. Um, but, but yeah, aside from that, I'll I have no real criticism. It
0: has to be, it can't be our internet. It's a different right, internet, exactly. but I believe our internet could become this internet under the circumstances of alien invasion and complete government takeover.
1: I, I might buy that. I, I, Goodbye that there would be a way for that to happen. Um, (laughs) Anyways. Yes.
0: So uh, a couple of interesting things about this. Uh, So Peter and Valentine become essentially famous orators who um, people take very seriously. And one of the interesting things is that uh, Peter is Locke and Valentine is Demosthenes, And Locke is the peace... uh, reasonable solutions kind of guy. And Demosthenes is the, um... Basically, the lowest common denominator, like, just rally the masses, like, He's the antagonist. the easiest... He's the, He's the antagonist.
1: Yeah, the, intag- uh, the antagonist, right. the antagonizer. He's the one who tries to kind of garner uh, passionate negative emotions, essentially.
0: Right. Um, so, Peter created these identities so that they would, uh be in contrast to each other, but he made sure he was Locke because Peter wants to take over the world and no one's going to uh, elect to office the warmongering guy, right? You you want the guy who is uh, reasonable and over the course of history shown to be, you know, deep and intelligent. And and Peter knows Uh, this. Right. And Peter knows this. And another reason why he did it this way is because he wants Valentine to need him. And at first, Valentine cannot write Demosthenes without him because she is so incapable of being that way. But they do this for so long that uh, it becomes second nature to both of them. Both of them and can I write
1: either part. That's it.
0: Right. Uh, and I, it even reaches a point I think where uh, Valentine writes a paper, and her teacher thinks she plagiarized it from Demosthenes.) <laughs> <laughs> Um, and she's like, crap, I'm forgetting to play dumb at school, you know, which is essentially what the two of them are both doing at school. They're pretending to be average or at least, you know, smart, but but OK, smart, like school not, smart. not
1: geniuses, um, because they're both just as smart as Ender is um, right. They, which is something and that, that's what. The, yeah, this whole family is a family of geniuses, and it was an entirely temperament that kept them from being Ender. Um, it was not. Oh, my goodness. What?
0: So that reminds me of one of, of my favorite scene in Shadow of the Hegemon. Which is where Peter finally comes out to his parents about being locked. Yeah. And his parents are like, We know. And yeah. he's like, What do you mean, you know? He's like, We produced three genius children. How did you think we were not smart? <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. It, it, it is actually really. And I think uh, it might be one of the stories in War of War of Gifts, because that one had several short stories, right?
0: No, you're thinking no. of first meetings in you're the right. universe. first
1: meetings. And that goes something. And it's like, you see that. The parents are both essentially, you know, they're super Brilliant. smart too, like they're, and they, they're completely aware of everything their kids are doing from day one. Um, yeah, and it's just that Valentine just and of, Peter don't know that. Right, because cause their parents have been feigning ignorance for such a long time that they believe it, like they don't, and right. it, it, it's, it's actually something that's very funny in that it's like, these kids are so smart, and they see how they can feign ignorance around others, and yet it doesn't occur to them that their parents are doing the same thing. Right. So. Yeah,
0: And I mean, in fact, there's a conversation in here at some point where Valentine uh, is upset because her dad's quoting Demosthenes and she doesn't want to believe that her dad would believe stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> but now I just think it's incredibly ironic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the, this chapter does relate back to Ender at some point because remember, the battle school teachers are freaked out by the fantasy game pulling Ender's, Peter's picture, and they're freaked out by Ender's reaction to that. So basically, Graf shows up at Valentine's school to talk to her. Um, and at first, she's worried the IF is there because they found out um, right? that, that they're Demosthenes and Locke. <laughs> <laughs> um, but over the course of the conversation, she realized that Graf does indeed know um, they are Demosthenes and Locke. He just doesn't care. Because uh, he's focused he's on only, the war. Right. He's focused completely on the war and on Ender. So he wants to know why Ender would have such a strong reaction to Peter, and Valentine's kind of like <laughs> you know. Have you met Peter? You have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> um I think there's a, a line in here. Uh I'm looking for it. Basically, she's like, Ender would never be like Peter. Uh and he's like it's just a very interesting moving conversation about how Valentine views Ender and the fact that we still know that's true. Like it's been two years by this point. Ender is eight years old um, when this chapter starts. So Valentine shouldn't know him at all. They have not been allowed any contact, but everything she says about Ender is true to a certain extent. She doesn't know everything he's done and had to do at battle school, but Ender doesn't want to be Peter. He's not the kid torturing squirrels in the woods. But like Valentine, who is the compassionate one, who is still focused on taking over the world, he wants to win. (laughs) You know, it's a trait of this entire family. It is
1: essentially, yeah. Ender would never be the one to torture squirrels in the woods unless he had to torture a squirrel in the woods to stop squirrels from killing people he loved. Like, it's the kind of thing where he'd totally do it if he had to, and Valentine wouldn't do it if she had to. Right. And that's that's kind of the spectrum of the three of them. Like Peter will do it because Ender will do something if he has to. Valentine won't if she has to. Um,
0: Right. Which is part of why she hates herself throughout this whole chapter is uh, she hates that she's helping the brother she hates. Right. right? Uh, Instead of helping the brother she loves, which is kind of what Graf plays off of to get information out of her, because she doesn't want to be having fun with Peter, which is exactly what she's doing. Peter's a terrible person. She knows he's a terrible person. And but she enjoys the game so much. Um They're all ambitious children. They're right. they're all Slytherins. If they, you will. they have
1: to use their um, minds. They you know, they, yeah. they really have to. And this is something that engages her in ways that nothing she's gonna get at school is gonna do. Certainly. So I mean yeah. they're they're playing the world.
0: Yeah. Which is the greatest game there is, right? <laughs> Uh, so the end of the chapter goes back to Ender and he has a letter waiting from Valentine. Um, and it has the intended effect in the end without the, the, it has the ends graph and them wanted, but not, they don't, un, they don't understand truly the reaction Ender has to this and how that all works. Because when Ender sees this letter, he knows one it was asked for, uh, because why else would a letter her be there? They haven't had a communication in two years. Uh, and he knows it's censored. And he knows she's only saying what they want him to say, want her to say. And so he feels like Valentine has been corrupted. And for him, that's like the last straw. Um, it, he hates the, uh,
3: the entire thing of it. And
0: uh, I, there's a section, I, I'm going to read it. Uh he she was one of them now, that, that she being Valentine. Uh He hated them in all their games, hated them so badly that he cried, reading Val's empty asked- for a letter again. The other boys in Phoenix Army noticed and looking away, and looked away. Inder Wigan crying, that was disturbing. Something terrible was going on. The best soldier in any army lying on his bunk, crying. The silence in the room was deep. Uh,
3: yeah, it's just. By the way, we yeah. never
1: mentioned Phoenix Army. How he got oh, so, Army. so
0: he he got traded there. Yeah, <laughs> it happens.
1: It, it happens. Um,
0: it's like a sport. Yeah. So Inder goes back into the fantasy game, uh, and when he gets to the castle where the snake is, this time instead of crushing it, he's just kind of like, "That's it. I'm over. Like, I, you know." Let it kill me or whatever. And he, he picks it up and um, he, he wants the snake to bite him, but instead his avatar kisses the snake. Um, and you have to understand that the mind game uh, isn't like you directly command to do things. It's kind of effect. It kind of is directed by your mind. So unconscious things can happen. Right. Um, and when he kisses the snake, it becomes Valentine. Uh, and then... Um, He, he, she leads him off somewhere and they go into a cloud and basically he wins the game. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's. And that, so he gets the result they want. Um, but not, they don't understand.
1: They (laughs) still don't understand what's happening. They don't understand why it got the result they want. What, um, they clearly didn't necessarily. They don't, they still don't really get him. And all they really know at this point is they don't get him.
0: And they never will, because the thing that they should have got from this, that they never do, which this is the first time we see this in the book, and it's going to be even more important from here on out, um, and we'll see it over and over and over again, is this is the first time Ender gives up. Uh, He wanted that snake to kill him. Uh, He was over. He was like, that's it. I'm out of the game. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm done. And instead, it had the unintended consequence of him kissing the snake, uh, and he won the game. But this desire to give up and just not care is critical to Ender's personality. Um, And the rest of the book, it happens multiple times. We'll see it over and over again. Uh, And the if just don't get it. Like they don't see that in him, and they never do. They never understand it. They don't understand.
1: Which is, I mean, they when it comes down to it, uh, you know, they they don't ever understand Ender, which goes all the way past the ending of the book. Yeah, because because they have yeah. what they want to have, or they rather they know what they want to have. And Graf was convinced from day one that Ender was exactly that. And when it comes down to it, he's not exactly what they wanted. He's more than that.
3: Um. So. Yeah. So
0: um, speeding along. Uh, <laughs> Ender, when we next meet Ender. Uh, he is promoted to a commander and we meet him when he's getting promoted. He's given a new army dragon, which, um, doesn't exist and has it in several years because dragon army was so bad. They had to disband the name cause people essentially thought it was cursed. Uh, so they're giving him a cursed army. Uh, and everyone in the army he discovers is either a launchy. So a newbie or reject from another army. So, the deck is stacked against him. Uh, and I just want to say, I really love that in Ender's Shadow, you realize this was a group selected by Bean.
1: But- yes. <laughs> right, because you realize that it was not... It, it wasn't loaded against him, but they, were, they wanted him to think it was.
0: Yeah. So, Ender comes in he's trying to be a commander he's not very old he's like the youngest commander in the history of battle school but at least one i think at one point he says at least they didn't give me anyone in the army older than me (laughs) (laughs) so he has an extremely young army um and he immediately starts reaming them like puts them in training and is like it's one of those scenarios where (laughs) it's like i grew up to be exactly like my dad you know uh he starts picking on the smallest, smartest person in the group, which is Bean, and realizes he's being exactly like Graf. And he doesn't understand why he's doing it. Yeah. Uh, he just is. And in the end, it all works out for the best. But,
1: but it takes him a bit to realize what's, that he, things need to move change around a bit.
0: Right. And everything Ender does from his army from that point on is different. Whereas most armies put the people they don't care about in the back of the room, which remember, these rooms are so long, you can see the curve of the space station. So if you're at the front of the room, you can't see the kids bunked in the back. Instead, he puts the kids who are youngest and weakest and smallest at the front of the room and the kids who are most have it together at the back, the veterans, so that he can keep an eye and help the kids who are uh, the weakest who need it. And, uh, so Inder goes into this intense training session with all these kids. Everything he's doing is different. Oh, uh, so up to this point, the games are played. The students use these things called formations, um, the the armies, I mean, uh, to, to play the game and Inder essentially throws that all out the window. He doesn't, he reinvents how the game is played. Um, and the school, the the commanders are breaking the game for Inder. Um, and it's uh, it's crazy. But before we go that far, I wanted to mention another, because that's the next chapter, uh, when we get into the games themselves. There's something in this, um, oh, where is it? It's right here. Oh, so Ender's a commander now. And also, Ali Ali has been made a commander. Um, I think he's been made a commander. Is he yet? i uh, he may not be a commander, but he's not in the same army. Uh, so he comes across him, and the thing he notices is that the way they interact with each other is different. Um, let me see. Is he a commander? He may not be a commander. I don't think he is yet. I think you're right. He's not, because Ender is the only one from their launching group, that is. Um, but there's a line in here that says, uh, The next day he passed Ali and Ali. Ali. Ali? Ali. In the corridor, and they greeted each other, touched hands, and talked. But they both knew that there was a wall now. It might be breached that wall sometime in the future. But for now, the only real conversation between them was the roots that had already. But for now, the only real conversation between them was the roots that had already grown low and deep under the wall, where they could not be broken. The most terrible thing, though, was the fear that the wall could never be breached. That in his heart, Ali was glad to be the separation and was ready to be Ender's enemy. For now, they could not be together. They must be infinitely apart. And what had been sure and unshakable was now fragile and insubstantial. From the moment we are not together, a is a stranger, for he has a life now and will be no part of mine. And that means that when I see him, we will, again, we will not know each other. When I was reading this book recently, I've read this book. How many?
1: A few times. A,
0: a dozen times. And when I was rereading this book this year, I had never noticed that passage before. Uh, or at least, I mean, I had read it, but it had never affected me. And this, I read it this time and I don't know, it was like a punch to the gut. I was like, I know what that feels like. Like not when I was little and I read it, I didn't, but now I know what it's like to see someone else move on to another stage in their life and feel like there's a wall between you and like, without the fact that you had that foundation before, that's the only thing keeping you together. But for now you're separated and you don't know if that separation is ever going to end. Mm-hmm. And it it's just amazing that I could read a book so many times and then stumble across that section on a reread this year. I think it was last spring when I was rereading it and it have a completely different meaning to me. Um,
1: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, There's a lot of that in this book. I feel like there's, you know, each time I hear somebody talk about rereading it, they're like, Whoa, I didn't realize, you know, I didn't really connect with this part of the book. And there's a lot there, especially surprising considering how short the book is.
0: I mean, this is a book you can read in, like, a day. Yeah. And it's just so jam-packed. So the next chapter is uh, basically Dragon Army is thrown into a whole bunch of games. And Ender doesn't lose a single one of them. And the importance of this chapter is that no one else had been thrown into the games this early. Everyone else was given three armies, like three, three, three months to train a new army, you know? And Ender was given an entirely new army, and he was given a much shorter period of time, immediately thrown into the games. And as soon as it happened, he had a game every day. And something was always stacked against it so he couldn't win, and he won anyway. And they, they, yeah, um, they would
1: keep changing the rules to go essentially against, you know, they would change the rules in a number of ways. They would cha- just change things, stacking details against him. But also, um, he was doing everything in new ways and the other armies started to ape things he did. So he had to keep changing things.
0: Yeah. Without understanding. Uh, so they're scrambling to, to change, the, you know, the other armies are scrambling to ape Ender's army without understanding why they do the things they do, like not using the formations, but they don't, they don't really understand how that works. Um, and yeah, you know, there's one day where there's uh like, all the stars are in one section or there are no stars or suddenly they're against two armies or, you know, crazy amounts of things. So Ender wins every game until the final game. And this is the second time where we see, uh, oh, before I get to that. uh, So Ender gets a new game every night and there's one night where Bean is in the room with him when he gets the new game. And uh, when you read it in this book, it's not... It's an interesting scene, but it's not particularly touching being, you know, being there. But when you read that scene in Ender's shadow, it is a completely different experience. Mm-hmm. Like that is the scene where Bean goes from referring to Ender as Wigan he, up to that point. Bean always referred to him in his mind as Wigan, And then from one sentence to the next, it changes to Ender and is always Ender after that. Because from that point forward, Bean is a believer. In yeah, and he, he goes like, from...
1: He, well, and this is something, you know, you get a, in Ender's game, in this, you do discover Bean is really smart, and Ender recognizes that. It's not until Ender's shadow that you realize he might actually be smarter than Ender. Um, and probably is, actually. But, uh, so it, it 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 is, it's very significant there that that is where he becomes Ender's man. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah.
0: And Ender shows vulnerability to being in the scene and he's the only one he shows that to um and it's just yeah so going into the next chapter which is entitled bonzo uh so you know there are still games going on and things they're working on but basically what happens in this chapter is bonzo is out to kill ender like this is this kid who he hated, who is now winning every single freaking game.
1: Every and game. And all of the commit, And they know that the things are stacked against him. He's not just going undefeated the way like it would be if Bonzo had. He's younger than everybody else. He's doing games all the time with things stacked against him. And he's still winning every time. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it, you know, it's ridiculous circumstances. Like, Bonzo knows he could never do what Ender's doing.
0: Yeah. So, you know, Ender's friends try to warn him. Petra... <laughs> alas, tries to warn him and is unwittingly being used by Bonzo to single Ender out. Luckily, Ender doesn't fall for it. Um, Dean, not Dean, Dink sends a message to Ender, also warning him, telling him to never be alone. Um, Because the reason why Bonzo snapped now is because in the last game Ender played, it was completely unfair. Uh, Was that the one where there was two armies? Yeah, I'm
1: pretty sure that Um, was the one where there were two armies and his was one of them.
0: Yeah. And Ender won. Uh, and he just unfroze everybody and wandered off, uh, and just like stormed out without basically shaking hands and saying good game, you know? Um, because he was
1: infuriated at the situation. He's like, this is ridiculous. You know, this is not, Yeah, <laughs> you are not just making us do this. Like this is, it, he, he was basically, he stormed off in not in disrespect to the, to the other kids, but in protest to the school and to the adults. Because he does Completely. see the adults as the enemy at this point, essentially, right? Like that's that's essentially what that is. Like going back to what you know to the conversation with Dink earlier, um, and, and and that's it. And it's just like you know, from Bonzo's perspective, and from you know, that's just like not only did he he beat us, he stormed off like as if we weren't worth paying attention to, or. You know, discussing with or saying hey to or whatever, you know, acknowledging. That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, As if we weren't worth acknowledging. Right.
0: Bonzo's not realizing that this is bigger than him, you know? Uh, One minute. My internet's trying to die. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Don't die on me, internet.
3: I can still hear you. I know you can, but it's. Okay. Um. Come on. All right. So,
0: uh, yeah. So, that was the last straw for Bonzo. Um, so, he's out to kill. Uh, this is not going to be a friendly fight. Inder um, always knew this day was coming. So, he'd been taking, like, you know, self-defense classes. But, Bonzo is bigger than him. And there's only so much <laughs> he can do about that. Right? Right. Uh, I mean, Bonzo is probably like, what? 14 at this time, and Ender's, like, 10?
1: <laughs> yeah, something like that. Like, yeah, they, there's the puberty has started and puberty has not started phase, and that's a right. pretty pretty difficult gap to overcome.
0: Right. So Ender's in the shower one day when uh, Bonzo comes in with some goons once again, and lo and behold, one of the goons is Bernard from way earlier, but it's basically all the people who hate Ender. <laughs> um. Ender's able to, uh, you know, goad Bonzo into fighting himself, which he does. And once again, we have a fight where Ender wins it, and he doesn't just win it; he decimates Bonzo. He just keeps kicking him in the face over and over and over again. Um, and it's even noted; Ender notes there's like a dead look in Bonzo's eye. And what we realize later, Ender doesn't know, is Ender did kill Bonzo, right. um, but. Inder had to win this fight. He knew he did. Like, Bonzo was going to keep coming unless Ender ended it once and for all. Yeah. I mean, essentially, so, he
1: needed to send Bonzo home. Like, you know, that was the only way out of this, was Bonzo to not be able to function after, after this. Or not there, at least. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in the end, uh, Dink runs in and finds him, and they... Pull Ender off of Bonzo and take him back to his room. And uh, this is another example where Ender begins to cry and people freak out. Uh, Dink doesn't know why he's crying, and Ender is just like, "I didn't want to hurt him. Why, you know, why does nobody understand? <laughs> I don't want to hurt people. Why do they keep making me hurt people?" Um, and it's it's heartbreaking. Like it, it's horrifying. And then, of course, icing on the cake. Inder gets a game and uh, he's against uh, two armies and uh, when they it's like they get to the room and no, the Bonzo game wasn't two armies. Oh. Bonzo's game was when they let Bonzo in like five minutes before they let Ender that's in. That's
1: right. That's right. Yeah, you're right.
0: So this is the first two army game. So he gets there. He gets to everybody and Inder has completely given up. He doesn't freaking care. and Bean and them can kind of see it and they lead them to the room and they scope it out. Bean freaks everybody out when they use that, uh, that cable and he changes uh, direction mid room. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like magic. Uh, so basically Ender's like, I don't care. I give up. So we're going to cheat. <laughs> and, uh, they make a formation. They take it through the room. Everyone on the outside of the formation gets killed. They get to the other side of the room and they basically do the ceremony that the winning commander would do, which is four students have to, four army members have to press their helmets to the corners of the other gate. And another one has to go through. And when they do that, the room thinks the game has been won. So technically he won the game, but it it was a complete method of cheating. Uh, Ender- just completely breaks the system (laughs) it's mind boggling but it's very important that he did this when he gave up and afterwards he basically tells everyone like we're never going to practice again this is it i'm done uh and he goes through his room and he just like flops down on his bed and then bean shows up and he's like we're all being transferred um and Ender's like, great, now they're going to stack it against me even more, they're just going to give me a whole bunch of newbies, like, and all of my guys are going to be commanders that I'm going to be up against. Uh, but that's not the case. Uh, as we learn, Ender instead gets orders to go to command school, which no one goes straight from battle school to command school. Right. Usually you go to pre-command school. Um, but that is not the case with Ender. Uh. But then as Graf and them kind of realize Ender has completely given up.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's like you pushed him they essentially pushed him too far, you know?
0: Yeah. So they take him to earth for a little, uh, breather. (laughs) And there he gets to see Valentine for the first time in gosh, four years, something like that. Yeah. Four years. Um, I think that's
1: right. I think he goes from six to 10 or so.
0: Yeah. And basically, Graf and them need Valentine to convince Ender to go back to war. Uh, and they, they're pretty sure this is going to work because they're like, it worked before when she only sent a letter. So surely coming in person will change everything. Uh, and this scene is just so, it's so beautiful because Valentine sees at the same time that Ender is a stranger to her and he hasn't changed at all. Yeah. Um,
1: I mean, he's still the younger brother that she loves. And, mm-hmm. and and that's like just comes across in everything that she says.
3: Yeah.
0: And uh an interesting uh section from this section of the book is uh basically Ender's worried he can't kill the buggers. Um well he's worried that he's killing and that he can't succeed, right? Like they're expecting too much of him. He doesn't want to kill and he's not good enough. <laughs> it's a weird, like, uh, Right. It's a uh, damned if
1: mind. you do, damned if you don't. You know, kind of.
0: Yeah. Uh, so Valentine thinks at one point, so she could see his reasoning, or rather his unreasoning, he could win all he wanted, but he knew in his heart that there was always someone who could destroy him. He always knew that he could not, he had not really won because there was Peter, undefeated champion. Uh, and I mean, that's all part of Ender's psyche, is he never did defeat Peter. And that's something we see all the way to Ender's death in Children of the Mind. Right, Like, Peter remains such a part of him. And the fact that he never did beat Peter, it's t- horrifying and
1: wonderful. It, it, if, if it wasn't for the <laughs> fact that he accepted the fact that he sort of beat Peter by going to battle school in the first place. but Right, but that, Ender doesn't think that He, he, doesn't think he that never way. does. He
0: never thinks I'm better than Peter because I made it. It's right, which is true. Like, but in the end, the outcome of this is that uh, Ender does go back to school or go back to command school. Uh, So, him and Graf go off to uh, Eros, which is an asteroid in the middle of nowhere uh, in essentially bugger space. And what we learn over the course of this is that. when a lot of our technology comes from the buggers, uh, right. Or their technology, I should say, like when we defeated them in the second bugger war, uh, we took over a lot of their colonies, uh, their outrigger posts, if you will. And we discovered all sorts of things. Um, and Eros is one of those, uh, bugger posts that buggers were at that. We We defeated them. And part of it was just that
1: we didn't have to terraform as much because these places were, already set up for it. Um, And, but yeah, there's lots of other technology uh, that we got.
0: Right. We also learn about the Ansible. Uh,
1: That was, I was, I was, I was like, yes, we get to talk about the Ansible in a minute, which is super exciting. Why don't you
0: talk about the Ansible, Michael?
1: (laughs) Well, so the Ansible, it's, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's essentially using quantum entanglement. Is that, is that correct? I believe something like, yeah. So it uses essentially quantum entanglement to have, (sighs) devices at two completely different areas in however far apart and have, um, and so that you can modify one and have the same exact modification happen on the other end, which enables faster than light, truly instantaneous communication. Um, and that is something that we took from the buggers. Uh, and it's something that enables, you know, it, that when people, the reason being that in this universe, um, we do know that, Light or that you know travel takes a certain amount of time, so and you have to deal with the uh with relativity, so if somebody travels a really long um travels at faster speeds, you know they age differently from people on other ends, and so you still have to deal with time uh, with time changing on the uh, on each end of that that huge distance that you're traveling across, but the ansible still enables truly real time communication, which. In the context of a war, if you're trying to do stuff across, you know, organize how you're training kids in order to be able to potentially run things down the line and figure out stuff on the home front while also relating to people who are, you know, fighting somewhere else in the galaxy, it's incredibly useful.
3: Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Which, uh, so Ender's told about this and he's told that the buggers have this kind of technology. They not the same. They've never found an Ansible in a bugger compound, but they do know the buggers have faster than light communication. Um, And he's, it's kind of explained to him that this would be how they, you know, could do the war. You know, we have this faster than light communication that will enable us. Right. Uh, What's interesting is uh, if you read Ender's shadow, uh, Bean is not told about the ansible, <laughs> Right. and that's the one thing they're like. We can never tell Bean about this, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because uh, as soon as they tell him, he would figure it out, which he does. Right, um, and it's the kind Ender, of thing
1: where e- Ender. It, it's a. It's not the fact that Bean. Bean is smarter than Ender, but it's not that Ender isn't smart enough to figure it out. It's that there are certain things he doesn't want to figure out. Right, and so he doesn't. Ender is in a
0: constant state of denial, right. which is why he doesn't know he killed
1: Bonzo. Right. Because he clearly he got enough information to know that he did. He's just choosing not to process it, essentially. Yeah,
0: yeah so uh, Ender pretty much knows at this point that he is the chosen commander uh, of the fleet that is going to be sent to the buggers, right? Right. Um, but he's still in training. Uh, when he, and then he meets his next teacher, who happens to be Mazer Rackham.
1: This whole time, we've heard his name a few times here and there, and we know that he is the person who defeated the Buggers previously. We don't know how, we don't really know like what, what that partook of, and we don't really know where he's been all this time. But Ender's- Oh my goodness,
0: I completely skipped something.
1: Uh-huh, go ahead.
0: Okay, so back when Ender was winning all of those games, uh, one of the things he was doing was over and over again watching all of the videos available to them of The Last Bugger War. Uh, and studying them and trying to figure them out. And the other commanders would come watch, too, because they were trying to figure out what Ender was looking for. Um, the other army commanders, students. Right. Uh, and they never could figure it out. Uh, and one of the things Ender thinks in that section is, we forget when we're at battle school that the buggers are the enemy,
1: not each other. Right. And, and um, that's the thing that goes, that, is like, is not only is he beating everybody with all these changing things, he's not even focused on this. Like, that's not what right. he's thinking about. That's not, he's looking at the next step.
0: Which is why Ender is so willing to do strange things, right? Because right. he's not thinking about winning a game. He's thinking about strategy and we have to try new things to win this war. Uh, he does win every game because he's brilliant. Um, but he's been studying the bugger videos over and over and over again. And you know, one of the things that always bothered him is... So Mazer Rackham won the last bugger war by shooting a ship. And that's all they show. And Ender never really understands, um, how that's the end, how that's the end. And he wants to see other videos and so nobody ever shows them to him. So he finally meets Mazer Rackham and they, uh, they talk about it and he realizes that the buggers have a queen. And, uh, basically Mazer killed the queen and that ended the war. They went and they, when they found like Eros, it was just full of a bunch of dead buggers. Um, and, they, they are bugs <laughs> in that sense. Um, so let's see, was is there anything else I'm missing before we move on to the simulations?
1: Um, <laughs> he's introduced to Mazer Rackham. So how, uh, what, where Mazer's been all this time?
0: Right. So, uh, that is true. Uh, <laughs> Mazer should be dead, Right. Right, Uh, But do you want to explain how he's not dead, Michael? Sure.
1: Um, They actually took the the limitations of faster than light travel and relativity to their benefit. They're like, you know what? We need Mazer around to help us when we figure out what kid is going to be our next person, like our next guy. And so let's send him on a trip where he will travel a really long distance without actually going anywhere and loop back around to the point where just a little bit of time passes for him while a whole lot of time passes for us. Um, and that's essentially what they did. They they knew that whenever they found Ender or whoever this kid would have been, they wanted Mazer around to help. Um, to help train him. And so, yeah. <laughs> that, that's where he's been all this time. And it's kind of a really interesting thing, because I guess, you know, despite the fact that I read this pretty late, I hadn't ever read of somebody using... The limitations of you know travel approaching the speed of light uh to their advantage you know the whole the the age thing like it's always kind of it's always put into the kind of like a negative implications perspective rather than a hey we can use this we can use this to keep this guy around (laughs) until we need him. Um, which
0: is which is what this book and speaker for the dead both do so well is they use that to save Mazer and then Ender uses that to essentially become immortal. Right. Uh, which is mind boggling. Yeah. (laughs) And it's so funny that nobody like could believe that it was him, that he's been alive for 3000 years. And it's like, well, why wouldn't I be, you know, faster than light travel exists. Yeah. Um, so one of the, uh, going back to the discussion of Queens and stuff, one of the implications of the, the queen situation is, uh, That the buggers get their commands instantaneously. Um, There's none of this uh, individual thought business or having to even pick up a command from an Ansible and hand it to somebody else, right? Like, every bugger knows exactly what they should be doing at every moment, Uh, which is why they're so unstoppable by us, right? Because they're perfectly coordinated. They're perfectly coordinated. They have a general who's hanging back, essentially, their queen, watching the entire thing unfold and can command everyone to go everywhere they need to go instantly.
1: As if of the, course, yeah. that's
0: also, yeah.
1: It, it's both the strength and the weakness. It's, it means that there's right. a single point of failure, and it means that there is a single port of organization. It's essentially one mind doing the work.
0: Right. Uh, which is our strength that we can improvise and think on a smaller scale, but we cannot react as fast as them. Right. So that's part of the reason why they were so good at destroying us, that and we weren't technologically It would be ready.
1: essentially like if, say, for instance, Ender, when he's doing all these battles, doesn't have to deal with training anybody and all the other bodies are just directly controlled by his mind so he can put them wherever he wants, right? Like, think about how much, even more easily, he would dominate the other, <laughs> the other teams in battle school. Um,
0: yep. The other thing Mazer tells Ender about is the doctor device. Michael, do you remember the doctor? Device? Do you want to explain I, I, it? I I've been doing a lot of talk. It. You can
1: go ahead. I I really don't remember it distinctly. Enough, okay. So.
0: I was just, I've been doing a lot of talking. So I'm trying to give you opportunities yeah, to
1: explain. Yes. And I'm willing to butt in, but I I, I don't know enough. Uh, I don't recall enough accurately. So.
0: All right. So it's the MD device, which is molecular detachment device. And they call it doctor device because haha, It's funny. Get it? MD right. device. Doctor. Um, So, uh, the thing about it is it, like, it destroys how particles attach to each other on a molecular basis. It essentially gets rid of the strong and weak forces that hold together uh, atoms. So, or not that, I don't think it breaks things on atomic scale, but it breaks atoms apart from each other.
1: Right. It breaks Um, molecules up, but it leaves the atoms intact, I believe.
0: Right. So, and the weird thing about it is that it gets more energy when that happens, so it can spread, but only if things are close together uh so
1: essentially, space is its enemy, right because right, right. space is a gap it can't breach, so
0: yes, uh, but if something's densely packed, you can just shoot at one corner of it and destroy the entire thing right um so. Ender's told about this. This is a weapon he has at his disposal. Uh, and then he's thrown into a new game, a new simulator. Um, and this one, uh, Mazer tells him he won't be playing against computers anymore. He will be playing against Mazer himself. Um, and he also won't be alone. He's being given tune leaders under him, essentially. And I really love this sequence where he's like, but how can I command people I've never seen? Right. Um, And he puts his headset on because essentially he's in this room by himself. He puts his headset on and uh, it's Alai who speaks first and I think says Salam. And uh, he realizes that everyone he's commanding is one of his uh, best and favorite students from battle school. You know, you have Petra and Bean and Dink and uh, Shin. And it's just like everyone he was ever really relied on or was close to, Uh, which is perfect because that's how Inder operates. He operates by understanding the people under them and their strengths and weaknesses. Right. Uh, He would never be able to command people. He didn't know. I
1: mean, he could probably do it better than you or me, but not as well as he needs to.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Not as well as he needs to. Uh, So, um, a minute, setting something aside. Yes. (laughs) (coughs) Coffee. I've been talking too much. Uh, basically, they start this whole realm of simulations, and Ender has command of everybody. Uh, under him are his team leaders, and then they're given an assortment of different types of ships. And Ender is given the responsibility of assigning who is in charge of what ships, uh, and he is in charge of commanding the strategy of their overall force. Mazer has told them they're playing against him. But it's going to start easy and going to get harder because he's going to pretend like he's the buggers learning about us. So, I mean, essentially it'd be like if you were playing against an AI, right? right? Like it knows nothing about you at first and it's going to learn. This AI just happens to be Mazer. So, you know, like in the first battle, it's super obvious that like it's a, a bugger clump, right? So you just use the doctor device and bam, they're all gone. Easy peasy, right? uh you know and then like the next battle you can't tell who's the center so like the center's always shifting and stuff and and it just gets progressively harder um you know the the maser simulates quotations uh like the buggers have figured out the md device and so they don't stay as close together anymore and all sorts of things um but what's Heartbreaking about these chapters is the pressure on Ender to win. He's essentially told he cannot lose on um, battle. And he doesn't want to lose. I mean, as he's shown over and over again, losing is not in his vocabulary. Uh, and like you see, it's like destroying him as a person. He's having these horrible nightmares where he's being like eviscerated by buggers. Uh, he like wakes up and he's like chewing on his hands. Um and then there's one battle that he just legitimately doesn't wake up for. Um, and he sleeps through it uh, because he's so stretched to the point of breaking that, I mean, he's one inch away from going insane at this mm-hmm. point. Um, and because he's that way, he's making mistakes in the battles and he's relying on his tune leaders too hard. And subsequently, he breaks Petra. Um, she falls asleep during a battle and loses because he trusted her the most. He'd give her like half of the army. Uh, He loses half of his fleet. They still managed to win the battle uh, because he's Ender, (laughs) but he, he realized that he stretched other people. What he, what is being done to him? He has done to other people at this point. Um, And Ender is like, he's furious. Isn't the right word. It's just, He's he's broken. He's broken someone he's bro- and he he, he doesn't want to do this anymore. Um, it's. Yeah. So then when he gets to his last battle, Mazer's like, this is the last one. If you win this, you know. You're graduating or whatever. Um, so he gets in there and he sees the scenario and he has the oldest, crappiest ships the amount by which he's outnumbered is insane. It's like a billion to one. And it's around a planet. They've never dealt with a planet before. <laughs> he doesn't even know what to do with that. But I mean, basically what it means is that going down is super cheap, right? It's not going to cost you any fuel. Right. But going up is. So that's going to limit all of your maneuverings. Um,
1: it changes everything entirely. The game is so completely different from everything he's done before. And it's like they, you know sort of like what they were doing to him in battle school except much more dramatic.
3: Yes. Um
0: and Ender is just like that's it. He's like this this is it. We are going to die. <laughs> <laughs> and uh Ender Ender thinks he's like I don't care anymore. Thought Ender, you can keep your game. If you want if you won't even give me a chance, why should I play? Uh like his last game in battle school when they put two armies against him. And just as he remembered that game, apparently Bean remembered it too, for his voice came over the headset saying, remember the enemy's gate is down. And if you remember, that's the game he cheated at. Yeah. And they just went through the gate. So what's interesting about the situation is Ender is completely given up. There are a ton of adults here watching him. Usually no one's watching him, but a ton of people are in the room. Graph, like Admiral Chaman's uh, name I can never pronounce. Uh, they the room is full of people. They're all watching him, and they're all shifting uncomfortably because they realize Ender has, n- or they seem to realize, Ender has no idea what he's doing. And Ender's just staring at it, and he's like, "This is it. I, I don't care." And then Bean says that one thing, which um, jogs his memory. And what's interesting about this in Ender's Shadow, right, is uh, there's like a red light on Bean's monitor. That was lights up when, if they need Bean to take over for Ender and, uh, cause Bean is the, uh, smartest person second to Ender, uh, but Bean also knows he doesn't have the ability to command like Ender does. So the light lights up, like the adults realize Ender is frozen, uh, and Bean's like, no, <laughs> <laughs> I can't do this. <laughs> uh, so he says, uh, you know, remember the enemy's gate is down and it, uh, it, it totally jogs. It? Yeah. Yeah, it it unfreezes Ender, and it says, and Ender also laughed. It was funny. The adults were taking this all so seriously, and the children were playing along, playing along, believing it too, until suddenly adults went too far, tried too hard, and the children could see past their game. Forget it, Mazer. I don't care if I pass your test. I don't care if I follow your rules. If you can cheat, so can I. I won't let you beat me unfairly. I'll beat you unfairly first. In that final battle in battle school, he had won by ignoring the enemy, ignoring his own losses, and he had moved against the enemy's gate, and the enemy's gate was down." Um, and the one thing Ender had been told before this was that the doctor device had never been used against the planet, and that was like, why would we do that? You know, in the in the all the time the buggers had been fighting against us. You know, they never attacked uh, civilians or whatever, and why would we do that? Like that's just stupid. Um, and, and that's a bad idea. So Ender's thought is, if I attack the planet, they'll let me go. Like I'll have broken the rules they won't need me to command and they'll set me free and I, and I, this can be over. So that's what Ender does. He basically does this maneuver where in the end, almost every one of his ships has died and is gone. And then he sets the MD device on the planet and destroys the entire planet. And the simulation freaks out because it's like, it doesn't know how to simulate that. And um, then Ender realizes everyone behind, like all the, kids are cheering in his ear because you know they just won but all the commanders and stuff behind him are cheering and they're crying and they're so happy and they're like patting him on the back and they're like ender you did it and he's like i don't understand i just won a game and And this is when he realized yeah yeah why why are they happy i broke the rules and this is where he realized it wasn't a
1: game yes this entire time he's been controlling the actual human forces via Ansible, um, and hence the equipment getting crappier, and hence there being a planet at the last battle. Mm-hmm. And uh, he doesn't handle well. Because the bugger well. planet
0: was the furthest away, right. so they had to send ships the soonest. So as soon as the last war was over, they sent ships. So this is why it was the oldest technology. Um, and you're right, Ender doesn't handle it all. He, at all. Because not only did he kill all the buggers... But he killed all of the, like, he did this with no regard to the human life, too. Right. Like, every ship that was there died. Uh, Granted, all of those people expected to die because they were so far away from Earth as it was. Um, But Mazer and Graf tried to convince Ender he's a hero. And... um, He doesn't buy it. He doesn't buy it. And I, it's just, Ender grabbed Mazer's uniform and hung onto it, pulling him down so they were face to face. I didn't want to kill them all. I didn't want to kill anybody. I'm not a killer you didn't want me, you bastards. You wanted Peter, but you made me do it. You tricked me into it. He was crying. He was out of control. Uh, and they have this whole conversation where Ender, Graf basically explains the whole rationale why they needed Ender and why it had to be a kid. Uh, and the thing you realize is that Ender and the connection he had with his toon leaders, they were almost exactly like the buggers. And when you watch the playbacks of the simulations, they seem like buggers because they're so in tune with each other. And it's so instantaneous between them. Like they understand each other on an instinctual basis because they know each other so well. Right. Um,
1: Which is why Peter couldn't do it.
0: Right. Because Peter could never command like that. Uh, And so not only did they have the perk of humanity, which is free will, which is that every little ship guy could also make a decision for himself, you know, and cut out at a good point or whatever. But you had the bugger perk of this instantaneous, like, empathetic understanding of what's happening, uh, which is how we were able to defeat them. Um, but so Ender essentially <laughs> kind of goes into a coma after this. Yeah. Uh, he can't handle it at all. Like, his brain can barely comprehend it. So he essentially just, like, sleeps for days. And what happens while he's sleeping is that the only thing keeping Earth united was the threat of the buggers. And now that that threat is gone and Ender's being lauded as a hero, um, you know, who destroyed the bugger threat forever. Uh, the countries are at war again. And, uh, there are different people from different countries on arrows. So a mini war breaks out there. Uh, in the end, the IF damps it down and they win, but, uh, Ender sleeps through it all. And, um, when he wakes up again, all of his friends are there and uh, they kind of explain the situation to him. And. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> what, what you also realize is that uh, what they say here is that Peter brokered the peace uh, between the the different countries in the firing. Uh, and he who did the uh, it, I think they call it like the Locke treaty or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's ironic uh and it stated at some point that inder was the one who brought death and peter was the one who brought peace um so the last chapter is called speaker for the dead which mm-hmm. as you know is the title of the sequel uh <laughs> but basically it kind of deals with the fallout of all of this um Locke has brokered peace uh now there are no buggers. Uh, the Earth's still not united, but at least, you know, nobody's killing each other uh, at the moment. <laughs> um, and they're going to be colonizing all those bugger worlds that are now empty because they killed all the queens on the bugger planet. So even the bugger colonies are uh, there. There are dead buggers there, but they're not doing anything.
2: Right.
0: Um, so they're setting up a whole colonization movement. And uh, Ender, all the battle school kids are going home except Ender. Uh, Ender's not being allowed to go home, uh, for fear that, you know, Peter or someone like him would try to use them to take over the world.
1: Wherever he went, he would be a political tool, essentially. Yeah.
0: So, uh, Ender is actually going out on the first, uh, colony ship. Uh, he's actually governor of the colony, even though he's 11. Uh, (laughs) but Valentine goes away with him. And uh, they go off to a planet. I don't remember what they call the planet. Um, oh, also, I completely skipped it. There's this whole trial of Ender, and like the well, it's not of Ender. It's of the IF because they can't try Ender because um, he's a hero.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um. So they're they're trying how the IF treated him. And, you know, Graf is like, I don't even care if I get court-martialed because we won. Like, I did what I was supposed to do. So, if they court-martial and kill me, I save the human race. I don't care. Um, But through the trial, Inder realizes he killed both Bonzo and And that that kid at the beginning.
1: That kid at the very beginning, yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Stilson. So, it. I mean, it destroys him. It breaks his heart. So, um
3: Valentine shows up at battle
0: school, which is being used as the base to leave for, um, colony ships. And she's like, I'm going away with you. Um, so they do, they go off to this planet and they're there for a while and, uh, things are good. Uh, Inder may be governor, but nobody, you know, people learn to respect him, um, and not treat him like a hero. And, you know, they establish, other ways ender doesn't really rule them or whatever um but he's a he's a respected member of the community and uh ender is out one day when he sees they're out in like a helicopter and uh he sees the landscape of his fantasy land fairyland from the mind gate uh
1: which is ridiculous
0: yeah so he kind of freaks out um he's traveling with a kid and he tells the kid uh Like, you can't come with them. And the kid's like, ah, you can't tell me what kids can do when they're 11 because you took over the world. Uh, Well, not took over the world, but defeated the buggers. And Inder's like, you don't understand. You have to stay. Like, (laughs) this is a big deal. Um, So Inder goes through it and there's the castle and he goes into the castle and he sees the, uh, you know, the snake rug and he sees um, a piece of metal with an you know, like a stick figure essentially traced into it. And he realizes this was built by the buggers. He doesn't understand how, you know, but clearly they built it. Uh, and he, so he pulls back the mirror because that's what happened at one point in the game. He broke the mirror and you know, they, him and Valentine went off to Fantasyland land or whatever. Um, and in there is a bugger queen egg. Uh, and he essentially communes with it. And the bugger queen explains, or you know, I was able to communicate with him and explain that um, they never intended things to get to the point they were at. They didn't uh, understand
1: what they were doing.
0: Right. Cause they thought by coming into the human area and, you know, killing a few humans, they were just kind of saying hello. Like, well, first off, they didn't know they were intelligent, but even if they were, they thought that killing off a few workers, what's a few workers,
1: you know, like, Ooh, cause that's not where that the brain just- is you know hosted essentially it's not they're you know to them uh, effectively like every human is sort of a queen in and of itself and they, they didn't couldn't comprehend that. right
0: right um so when so they you know stopped this is why they hadn't attacked the third time because they finally realized it um and then they realized that the humans had not forgiven them and were coming after them uh and so they built they they were able to connect through Ender. And as we learn later, they were able to connect through Ender through the fantasy game. Um and Ender understood them the most. He was the most like them. So that helped with the connection. Um and they took these images from his mind and were able to build this so that he would know it was for him and put the bugger queen there. And they want him to, you know, find a place to set her free so their people can be built up again. Uh So Ender writes a book called uh, The Hive Queen um, that basically tells the story of the buggers and how they they did bad things, but it wasn't intentioned that way. Um, And then later he gets a call from Peter and Peter had read this book. Ender did not say he wrote this book. He just published it, put it on the web and was like, right. Anonymous. Peter Peter Um, knew. (laughs) Yeah. Peter read it and said, I know this is you. And this is Peter at the end of his life because uh, Ender is still young because of faster than light travel. Um, and Peter basically explains himself to Ender and has Ender write a book called – write another book for him. And so he, calls, he writes a book and he calls it The Hegemon. And the two books Which are – Which tells us
1: that Peter did actually manage to rule the world essentially.
0: Yeah. <laughs> he took over very much so uh so together the two books are called the hive queen and the hegemon and they were published by this person called the speaker for the dead because that's how ender signed it speaker for the dead um and then uh basically ender turns himself into a villain through this process because everyone lauds him as a hero um until this book is published and they realize that maybe we didn't do such a good thing um, by killing all the buggers so in the end um Peter uh, Ender is like, we can't stay on this planet anymore. Uh, I, it, the line he says is we have to go. I'm almost happy here. Uh, which yeah. I didn't even have to look that up. I just know that. Right, <laughs> because Right. That's one of my favorite lines. Um, uh, but when I look uh, looking in that section of the book and. Uh, Valentine essentially asks him why he can't stay. And he says, I've lived too long with pain. I don't know who I am without it. That's the reason he gives her. But the real reason is. uh you know he has to find a home for the hive queen and it's right. not this planet so then they go traveling Clearly. from Cause planet. cuz if it was that planet,
1: planet then they would have just used it
0: yeah <laughs> so uh, you know the last chapter of the book is so they boarded a starship and went from world to world wherever they stopped he was always andrew wigan itinerant speaker for the dead and she was always valentine historian errant writing down the stories of the living while Ender spoke the stories of dead of the dead and always Ender carried with him a dry white cocoon, looking for the world where the High Queen could awaken and thrive in
1: peace. He looked for a long time. And that's the end. And it's such a great ending, too. Um.
0: It, it is, because it's so ambiguous, but at the same time gives you a feeling of, like, he did find a place. Right. Which, uh, and you and assume because it is know.
1: Ender, too. And he's finally given a mission that is for life instead of for something else, right? Like. Yeah. It kind of, like, it, you feel terrible about the fact that he had to basically write himself as a villain, but that's how he sees himself. Um, and, but at least he's given something that's worthwhile to do, and he doesn't care if other people know. He wants to do it for him, and for the hype yeah. Queen.
3: And, you know,
0: that's the beauty of this book, right? Like, it's, it's a fun book to read. Like, even if you don't read it in deeper, you're just like, oh my gosh, so many exciting, thrilling things happen right mm-hmm. um but also through this book you learn this whole s- story about like in, in says at some point when he when he best understands his enemy and can defeat them in that moment he loves them right uh and that's what this book is about it's about loving
1: it's about love everyone. and empathy i mean when it comes down to yes. it that it, it is at its core this book is about empathy and understanding um and it's and-
0: completely heartbreaking because this kid gets broken, this completely empathetic kid who could have been such a great peacemaker or yeah, I mean he could anything. have been
1: he could have been a better hegemon than Peter was than like presuming that Peter, you know, we don't in this book we don't learn how Peter did. Um although right. we do get the, other than
0: he said he's a great hegemon and brought world peace and blah 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 right. blah. Right.
1: And you okay. can tell that he's still like you believe it at the end, too, when he basically expresses sorrow at his interactions with his brother when he was young. Like, yeah. and at that point you buy it, or at least I do. Um, like, I, it doesn't feel like he's, you know, it's like maybe he has become a changed man over time, or has let that stuff come through because of whatever his life brought him. But... But that is, like, the kind of thing that you feel like Ender was made for. You know? hmm Because, you know, he's, he's empathetic, And he's a genius and just, you know, and it's just kind of, yeah. I mean, he is essentially the combination of Peter and Valentine. (laughs) And that's, uh, yeah, you just feel terrible about the way that life turned out for him. Um,
3: Yeah. But it's amazing and it's
0: beautiful and it's, I. And it's it's, it's hard to just.
1: The whole book is not about winning a war because when it comes down to it, you realize it wasn't a war that needed to be won. No. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it, it was, he won, but there wasn't a point to that victory, which you only learn about after the fact. Like, they wouldn't have attacked again. You know, it was over. Yeah. Um, so if humanity hadn't pursued the buggers after that, you know, the second contact, like, second round of contact they had, and humanity had just done its own thing for a while, could, who knows how many thousands of years could have passed before we came back in contact, and the buggers might still remember that, and humanity would be like, oh yeah, there was that thing that happened a long time ago. They never attacked us again, <laughs> yep. um, but that's, not Though, how uh,
0: that's not how things played out. And I, I, I guess I don't want to get too deep into speaker for the dead and how no, all that no. kind of plays out. But I think one of the wonderful things about speaker for the dead and why I like it so much is because when you're reading it, you're like, yes, this is the person Ender should be mm-hmm. uh, the person brokering peace and bringing healing like to everyone. Uh this is who he was meant to be. Um, and it's just terrible that in order to be that person doing those things, he had to have this incredibly traumatizing childhood experience where he killed an entire species. Right. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, this is, this is my favorite book ever. <laughs> and I, I love it so much.
1: So, uh, you and I both saw it on, uh, the, there, there was a, recent movie adaptation that has been in the works for like half this book's lifespan and yes,
0: so, uh, finally
1: got put out. Stop So stop yes.
0: listening now so, yes. if you have not seen the movie.
1: We, we should, yeah, if you've read the book, which you shouldn't be hearing us say this if you haven't, um, then uh, you can stop now if you haven't watched the movie yet, because we're going to talk about that. Because, yeah, there's a lot to live up to.
3: Yes, so, um, so...
1: Let let me, because I know you have much more uh, to go okay. on, on this, um, I want to start off by talking about, and I you and I had talked about this before, my expectations for this movie were extremely low. Um, I still, and I, I'll go ahead and say, I don't think the trailers were done well. Um, I think no, that the trailers I in, indicated that this movie would not actually be Ender's Game. Like, there, there, it didn't seem like... The room to because empathy is such an important part in the in the book. Bu- I mean, it is the point of the book that that didn't. Yeah, of course, they didn't put any of that across in the in the movies. It really seemed like they were turning it into a, kind of an actiony war, um, you know, an action war sci-fi thing that happened to star kids or have kids playing a significant role in it. Um, and they kind of they gave away some of the some of the twists and turns, which. Don't matter to me as much, but, um, and, and, and this is the way, like, when we talked about Superman, I, I got across where there are certain things, it's really themes and principles that matter much more than particular events or canon. Um, so I'm willing to forgive a lot of details here and there. So when I went into the movie expecting basically nothing, expecting best case scenario, I expected to come out of that movie and be like, okay, that was a fun action movie, but it wasn't Ender's Game. And in worst case, I expected to be like, that was a terrible movie,
3: and it wasn't Ender's Game. To me,
1: a mediocre movie that did seem to be made by somebody who at least understood what the point of Ender's game was, or was a reflection of it, whether it was done extremely well or not, which is would was not something I expected in their own possibilities, and was definitely better than either of you know the the best case scenario that I had envisioned before. So when I came out I thought the movie was fine and it was a much better, I could see the book in it somewhere. So I was, to me, it was a pleasant surprise. Um, you went in with different expectations. So,
0: I, I don't want to say I, I didn't actually go in with high expectations. I know I was excited, but excitement and expectations are not the same. Okay, thing. I just true. want to make that clear. Right,
1: so I was not excited uh, either. I was dreading it, but I wanted to see it before anybody else told me anything about it agreed i, I was that's, not, i mean
0: that's why i went first I, but that, i was not know, excited
1: well. i was definitely not excited i was like oh gosh i gotta get this over with is kind of the emotion that i had going into it um
0: my excitement and expectation was that at least i'll get a good game like if you read the book at all <laughs> out of this you know like i and because cgi is where it is at least I will be able to see children flying in zero gravity uh, and have a good game experience Oops. somewhere in the middle of this movie. Um, yeah. The movie only half met that. Uh, uh, that's so, generous.
1: Yeah. I, 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 so
0: I, I'm going to give it half. There were kids flying in zero gravity. There so was it no, meant something.
1: There was no cohesion. <laughs>
0: There was there, no cohesive game.
1: <laughs> there was no cohesive game. There was no coherent point where you felt like you could follow the game. There was a couple of times where they zoomed out. Right. like, Oh, cool. Are they going to do something so we can maybe like put it from the perspective of the adults or, like of graph so we can see like a HUD overlay that gives us an idea so we can follow what's going on? No, no.
0: See, this is what I wanted. I, I didn't I didn't have the words for it till just now. But what I wanted was the Quidditch match from Harry Potter one. Yeah. Overlaid with. The Hunger Games, Seneca Crane watching The Hunger Games. And yeah. I figured both of those movies existed.
1: That's what so... I expected. So that was... <laughs> and I hadn't even thought about it, so I didn't go into the movie with those expectations. But when the scene came up and the first time where they really zoom out for the battle, that's what I, I was like, oh, so they're going to do... No, they didn't. Ah, oh, dang it. <laughs> um,
0: I, was, that said, I was expecting... Wait, no, you can go ahead.
1: I was say, that said, I did not go in expecting this ahead of time or a desi- an act of desire to see it because I was so expecting to be disappointed by the movie that I didn't think about it before the movie started. So,
0: yeah, I said multiple times to my local friends that if that was all this movie gave me, I would be happy because at least I would be able to see like... I mean, it's like seeing Quidditch on the screen for the first time, you right. know, like even if the Sorcerer's Stone had been a terrible movie, at least we finally had a, something interpreting what Quidditch looked like to us, you know, like, and that's just, it's really what I wanted. I was like, I'm pretty sure it's not going to do anything else. Right. So you didn't I get wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't expecting Locke and Demosthenes, which it didn't have, but I was okay with that. Going into the movie, I had told people, I was like, I completely understand why you would cut Peter and Valentine from this movie. Oh yeah, because they're um, not
1: important at all. Like Valentine is... Important in the role that she plays for Ender, Peter plays no role past the beginning in terms of Ender's growth there's just no there's no room for that for wasting that time in a yeah in a movie, especially one targeted towards kids, which I feel like they're targeting this movie towards kids so um
0: yeah, so I got in an argument with one of my friends beforehand on the Stilson and uh Bonzo fights on whether they were going to be included. And he was convinced they were not going to be included. I was convinced they had to be because it's Ender's game. Okay, so uh,
1: I would, and, <laughs> and I would have what said... what we with, got
0: was a happy medium, <laughs> I guess. I, so so and my,
1: my expectation from, again, going in expecting to be disappointed is that, eh, they might do it, but it's just going to be him winning fights, you know, it's not going to be him killing kids, Um, but him killing kids is kind of important. Um, right.
0: So, so on, yeah. that, on that topic, him killing kids is kind of important. I would also argue how he kills kids is important. Right. Uh, so when I went to see this movie, I saw the first, you know, half. And I was like, okay, so clearly you're not going to give me the game I want. I feel like I'm watching random highlights from battle school. But yep. I could be okay with this. At least this is a mediocre attempt to, like, like you said, it's someone who actually read the book. And they're trying to jam pack a ton of things in here, and they're just not doing it quite right. They, but and they are driving I,
1: home. They they definitely tried to push the empathy thing a lot. Like they, they, they did.
0: They did. Sometimes it was like smacking you in the head with it, right. and I was like, "I need you to show me this." Ender doesn't seem empathetic, and uh, right, you're you're messing. So before I I get to the Bonzo Ender fight because that's my big pet peeve. I'm with, I'm with you. Uh, so before we get there, um, a couple things uh early on that weren't deal breakers for the movie, but made me shake my head. Uh one, I un- I knew going in, Bean and Ender were gonna be in the same Launchy class because right. I had seen the casting and like oh, a picture. I something. had
1: not seen it, but I knew going in, it's like Bean's a character, if they want to do any kind of franchise thing beyond this, Bean needs to be more, more prominent than he would be. Um
0: so the problem with Bean and Ender being in the same Launchy class is that as soon as Graf said Ender Wigan is the smartest kid in this room, false. I was like false. <laughs> no,
1: false. Bean would have piped up as well and he would have been he would have laughed at the same time Ender did. Like or as soon as Ender did it, you know, with like Who Understands, Bean would not have been intimidated into saying like, you know, no, I don't think that's funny or whatever. Like yeah. No. He'd been like, Yeah, of course, it's correct. You know, 'cause 'cause Bean was The things that that Ender had issues with empathy-wise or, you know, getting other people to like him was, like, Bean magnified. You know, like, Bean had those issues on the whole Bean's the
0: Sheldon Cooper of battle school. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. um, So I was like, okay, fine. I can deal with this because I guess we're not going to make an Ender Shadow movie. So it's not important that he's super smart. Whatever. Um, So I was going to forgive that. And then when... uh, because Bean was in the launchy class, when they went into the battle room for yeah. the first time, uh, and it was Bean and Ender instead of Ender and Alai, whatever, I was like, okay, I can understand this. Because at, at that point, I wasn't sure Alai was going to be in the movie because <laughs> right. he hadn't been mentioned yet, right? So I was like, okay, so Bean is being uh, this conglomeration of Bean and Alai together. I'm okay with that. I was like, I understand. I mean, it's because I'm not expecting this to be the book. I'm expecting it to make changes. But what did bother me with that sequence is they didn't shoot all the other kids. I was like, I don't even understand this decision on like a director or writing scale. Like that doesn't change the scene so much that it would cost more or like, you know, be longer or
1: anything. But it seemed like it's so the, the reason the thing that I got from it that they were tr- maybe trying to do. and I'm not sure how well it pulled it off. Is that perhaps they were trying to just do something without setting up another another point of antagonization or something, but just get across that, hey, these are the only two kids, or, you know, Ender and whoever he's with are the only t- people actually testing things out, and Graph is noting that, essentially. Right? Because yeah, uh, I that's just, what this was. And I, and I think that's what they're trying it to it was across. supposed
0: to be such a team building moment. And right. I, I don't know. And it, I don't
1: think they, they used it as a another scene in which to build up Ender's competence in Graf's eyes rather than any co- kind of team building. thing. Um, Agreed. So. Uh, they yeah. they also
0: didn't have Ender break Bernard's arm. Right. Which bothered
1: me. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, they had some... They so had so just, there, was, the, there was
0: no need to heal the team because he didn't break the team. <laughs> right, right. I guess.
1: Um, um, so, and I guess, yeah, it, it maybe would have been a little bit... Maybe more time would have been necessary in terms of... Uh, Doing, you know, a more elaborate shooting all the kids sort of scene. Uh, it's a scene I can, again, it's a scene I can forgive. I don't. It served a Once purpose. Again, I, I or was or
0: I was not against the movie because of this. Right. I was like, I understand it's this. I just feel like this would have made the movie better. Um, so then, you know, I knew going in who was cast as Bonzo. Um, I did. And I was angry about it going in. Uh, I was like, "There's no way Moises Arius can be Bonzo." Um, I know you don't probably don't know what he's from, but he is from Hannah, Montana. Um,
2: <laughs> I did not, and
0: I—I I don't think he, I think he had the acting ability. I was just like, Bonzo is supposed to be bigger than Indra. Yeah, he doesn't he's have supposed the to be a threat, right? And this this guy is very small, um, which is fine, but. I don't know, he just didn't seem threatening.
1: <laughs> no, like, it, it really seemed like... So, in the book, when Ender goads Bonzo into fighting him one-on-one, that doesn't seem like... I don't want like, to get
0: to that scene yet.
1: Uh, no, no, I'm not, I'm not. I, I, I won't get to the scene. That doesn't seem like a okay. stupid decision on Bonzo's part, because he is bigger, right. and it's still... It just seems like, okay, fine, it's a pride thing. In this, it's like, Bonzo's not big like there's no reason for him to have the confidence of a one-on-one situation
0: right so it's, it's not it's just so that bonzo wasn't big ender freaking towered over him right right. and right. i know some of that's just because asa butterfield is tall but i'm like so cast your ender and then cast everyone else to make it make sense right, like-
1: right. yeah and, and so i will get to the scene itself later but i mean like yeah the, the size thing changes even that sense that because because when it comes down to it we know bonzo is still smart like he might not be not might not have like any, you know, any intelligence compared to, to Ender, but he made it to Battlefield and was a, was, had a competent, you know... Right. Every had,
0: kid there is uh, genius. Right. So,
1: <laughs> so for him to then, yeah, like, him getting into the fight with Ender one-on-one doesn't make sense. Like, he would definitely be much more, if you're somebody who's small like that, who has the kind of personality that Bonzo has, you would you would put a lot more emphasis on intimidation and using your, your other people all the time instead of being willing to be goaded into that one-on-one scenario when you're at a physically physical disadvantage potentially um anyway so yes
0: all right so rewinding back so now yes. ender is in bonzo's army and we meet little bonzo um <laughs> i thought the dynamic between petra and bonzo was really weird but i was like i'm gonna forgive it okay i'm okay I, I, um, it was very weird Petra and Ender kind of freaked me out too. There were definitely several moments. I was like, oh my gosh, if Petra kisses Ender, I'm walking out. Like,
1: <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that too. I was like, eh. I was
0: like, I don't know what kind of chemistry they're trying to put here. These like, kids are tiny.
1: Don't don't do this.
0: Right. But it, it felt like this weird line, like they were trying to, but then they didn't. And then I was just like, I don't know what's happening. Um So then the games themselves, uh, I thought the game where Inder, how Inder played into that game was fine. What I didn't like was they didn't show formations at all. Like, it didn't make
1: sense. <laughs> no, they, they just said, hey, Nothing about you take your tune sense. over there, I take my tune over here. That was about it.
0: I mean, part of it is because they made the armies so much smaller, they couldn't really do formations because these were armies of 12 people when the armies are supposed to be armies of like 40. Right. Right. So I'm just like, is this supposed to be a formation of Petra sitting on top of Dink and Fly Molo? I'm pretty sure they call him Fly. <laughs> um, I was like, is that supposed to be a formation? And if that is a formation, then nobody would be shocked at all when Ender did the... Uh, one of the kids on the back of the other kid's thing. Right. Like, that's standard. I don't understand. Like, you're defeating the purpose of the of Ender's genius at this point. Like
1: they, I, This is definitely something I, they did, continue, you know, going from here and continuing all the way to when Ender had his own, you know, had his own... They did no... They did nothing with regards to building a, this is how things work, and it's how everybody does it, and it's just a matter of execution... Versus now, Ender is changing the game and doing it over and over, and other people are trying to imitate him and failing. Like they, right. there was none of that at any point.
0: Yeah, they they failed to get across completely that Ender broke the game. Uh, they also didn't show they, they only the only way you knew Ender was winning once he became commander of dragon army was because they showed a display in the background yeah. where dragon went ahead of salamander or rat or something i was like this is stupid yeah (laughs) i was like i don't understand like battle school is the majority of the book the vast majority and i feel like i'm watching highlights of bad battle school at this point yeah so when ender became dragon was supposed to be doing these revolutionary things instead it just felt like well we you're right we we have no baseline uh so we don't know that anything he's doing is special. So whatever. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Okay. He's winning. Great. Like for all we know, he's just winning the same way everybody else did just better. You know, like we, we, we don't like, and that's the thing about Ender's brilliance is he's around all these really smart kids who are doing this stuff really well. And he's fundamentally changing things. Yes. Um. That's, I
0: mean, it's, that's, one of the things I love about Ender's shadow is how when you get to the point where Ender leaves battle school and and Bean and all of them are made commanders, you see how broken the system is. Like, battle school cannot function now that Ender Wigan has gone through it. Right. He broke it.
1: He, he broke it and, and, and because all, everybody has learned these things from him and has been taught by him. And it's just like, well, now what?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's crazy. And the movie just completely failed to do that at all. But... At this point, I was still like, okay, so I'm disappointed a little bit because it didn't meet my one expectation, (laughs) you know, but uh, it's highlights of battle school, but I'm not offended. It's not terrible. Let's keep going. You know, I'm in. Uh, I wasn't against the movie at this point. Uh, Then the Bonzo Ender fight happened.
1: Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. That's probably my very biggest issue. Not probably. Definitely my biggest issue with the entire movie. This is
0: my biggest issue. If not for this this scene, I think I would say the movie was good. It wasn't quite the, what it should have been, but it was Ender's game. You know, Because of the scene, my reaction was, I don't know who that kid is, but he is not Ender Wiggin. <laughs> I mean, that, that was the thought that went through my head. I was like, that is not Ender uh, Wiggin.
1: Okay, so the issue with the scene is that his killing of bonzo was essentially entirely accidental and you know he basically just like knocks him over and the guy hits his head on the thing and that's it and he's like freaking and then out he and
0: immediately out. is upset like he immediately if, if i would have been okay with it if he accidentally knocks bonzo over bonzo hits his head and then ender walks up to him and kicks him in the face right that would have been okay
1: <laughs> or like kicks it or kicks him in the stomach or whatever and walks off right right like
0: right right instead ender is immediately like oh no bonzo bonzo and i'm and, like and you could
1: have, you could have even done that too like if he went through and he did that and he looks down at him he, he didn't even have to kick him again he could look down at him kind of keep you know keep the stony face thing look at the other like you know go out look at the other guys then just walk off or something you know the guys who bonzo yeah. said to, to leave like something like that just be like hey i that's what needed to be done and i'm gone yeah even because if he just Inder putting on the did show for cry
0: him. about Bonzo's death about Bonzo's. Well, he didn't know he was dead. Inder did cry about killing Bonzo in the book, but it wasn't until he got back to his room. Right. Cause he
1: has to put that show, Like he knows that that's what had to be done and he needs to put on that face. So people know like, and so I, so the difference here is, and the reason that I am basic, like, you know, I basically think about this movie the same way you would have if this scene had gone better. um, And part of it is just, I was so expected to not see any of Ender's game in this, and I saw so much. Um, And it's just like, yeah, that scene really just, they should have just at least repeated the very first fight, you know? Like, if they had repeated that, it would have been fine. The
0: the first fight was a nice PG-13 version of the Ender-Stilson fight. Yeah. I was like, it's not quite as intense as I would like it to have been, but it was an Ender-Stilson fight. Like,
1: yeah. Uh, I'm okay with this. So if they if they did that again here, that would have been better. Beyond that, though, I mean, I guess the whole thing is that I was expecting the whole empathy undercurrent to just be lost completely, Um, and instead they kind of overcompensated. Um, But
2: (sighs) I
3: I mean, the point of
0: Ender is that he's both compassionate and ruthless, right? And you're right, they overcompensated the compassion, which was part of what I was worried about, actually, going into this movie. I know you were worried about the compassion being lost. I right. was worried about the movie being Disneyfied. i <laughs> So I did get my Disney Fied version, I guess, um because Inder does terrible things.
1: yeah um and I guess the the thing that the thing is like I would have said instead of just saying, yeah, it was it was fine." Um, or even good, like, when I came out of it, I was like, yeah, it was like, it was, again, it was a pleasant surprise, I thought it was good, I did not think it was a great adaptation. <clears throat> of course, you know, people should read the book, you can skip this movie if you want to. Um, but, it's kind of, I don't, like, I am clearly holding it against the movie, because I think it would be significantly better, but I'm, I guess as it's, it's just, to me, he's still... I guess it just comes down to, I I think it's important that he, he still did end up following through in the end, gets pissed at them when he, you know, finds out that he actually killed, you know, an entire species. And um, I, I just really wish the Bonzo fight had been better. <laughs> um, so
0: the end, let's talk about this. All yeah. right. So first off, I want to say... The final simulation was really intense. I really yes, enjoyed that. Me too. Uh, e- even though things in it were not quite right, like, you know, I was forgiving the things that weren't. Like D- Details don't matter okay. as much as getting De- the You're across. Right. You're right. Details don't matter. So I was forgiving all of the details. Um, the one thing I didn't forgive the movie for was spoiling it beforehand because Graf nice. got a message in his office that said the, the army was 28 days away. Right. Um, I did not like that the buggers were all on one planet uh, if the Buggers were all on one planet, why didn't they, like, this is stupid. <laughs> like, I don't even understand what this war is about anymore. Because why don't you just destroy the planet using the MD device? Like, why do you even need to enter? I, I don't understand. Um, but the ending simulation sequence was intense enough that I was stressed even though I knew the outcome.
1: Right. I, I definitely liked how they, how they pulled that off. Um, I was very impressed.
0: I was too. Um, so, I didn't like the final scene between Graf and Ender
2: No.
0: Um, one of the things I didn't like was it made Graf seem like a soul crazy person who wanted all the buggers dead instead of the fact that everyone on the planet felt this way except Ender (laughs) Right. you know like Ender is a freaking hero Graf did not go off the deep end like this is what the IF wanted Um, actually they weren't expecting Ender to commit genocide but (laughs) I did not like how they made it seem like Graf had gone completely.
1: It's more they wanted in exactly the direction they wanted. More than they wanted in the direction they wanted. Like, it it, it was... Like, yes, everybody was definitely celebrating.
0: Yes. I didn't like that Ender wasn't concerned for any of the human lives he killed. Because in the book, Ender is concerned about both. Yeah. Right? He's like, what do you mean? I killed... Like, I just did that entire thing without regard to my ships because I thought they were all... Fake. You know, I just killed all these humans. And then he realizes he also killed all the buggers, you know? Like. Because when it comes down to it, he's human first. <laughs> right. Right. So I was just like, wait, so he has no concern for all the humans he just murdered, which Graf tries to point out to him, which I didn't like either. Graf in the movie is like, you completely left those ships for all those people to die. I'm like, Graf would never say that.
1: No, because they're soldiers.
0: No, and Graf tells Ender in the book at some point, You those soldiers all knew they were going to die. They were just happy to die, you know, at your command. Like, and I was just like, this entire scene is wrong. Like, Ender's reactions were wrong. Graf was wrong. Like, everything about it was wrong. And I was just like, I'm not happy right now. <laughs> so then, okay, if this bugger queen... Is on Eros, which is not an asteroid, but I'll forgive that. I don't have a problem with a- Eros being a planet instead. Why have the IF not figured this
3: out? That she's there? That she's there. It's right there. It's
0: within walking distance of their base. I mean, she could
1: be hiding. Like maybe she, she went and she traveled. was right th- there. Yeah, but if, you, <laughs> if they have that empathetic link with them, like maybe she literally traveled too closer to their base to be closer to Ender.
0: I'm just saying. I, I, I don't know. I, F- I can F-
1: accept F- that part. I, I can accept that part. I'm with you on the graph thing, I, but I, I can accept that the the queen would move closer to be closer to Ender, um, potentially.
0: I cannot accept it. The IF is the military would do a much. She would have had to have come to the planet recently, which would involve a ship, which you would think the IF would have seen. Uh, otherwise, the IF probably did an extensive search of the entire planet. So, I you can't tell me they don't have some sort of you know infrared sensing on the planet to sense life. Uh, I I don't know. I just, well, maybe
1: maybe she was just staying far enough under the under the ground where they couldn't couldn't find it, and then it was it was like, hey, the one that we want is here. Let let me go up. You know.
0: Yeah. Then why didn't the buggers do that on every planet?
2: Yeah. I don't know. Uh, also.
0: <laughs> ender grabs this egg puts it in his bag and just walks back into an if facility
2: yeah that's a good point
0: what what how does that make any sense three the if just lets ender go what (laughs) and four valentine gets left behind what what is this am i even did they even read the same book i did i don't even understand i mean these are I was just,
1: it was very clear that they're not intent, or I hope that they're not intending to turn this into a franchise later. But
0: they can't. I mean, the, they really can't. There's the nowhere to go from yeah. here. Yeah, I mean, you can't do Inner Shadow based off of this. Not to mention, nothing has ever been done like that before. I can't imagine having two movies that are the exact same movie from different perspectives. I mean, I would love it, but I don't know how Hollywood would go for it. Um,
1: Sounds like a project to, to get somebody to do.
0: <laughs> speaker for the dead is a bunch of people talking yes. so i'm not sure <laughs> how exciting as a movie that would be i mean i love somebody Singer should for the write dead, a book wait
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> i mean i think speaker for the dead would have an amazing opening sequence which is you open on a hill and there's a body splayed out on it and miro stumbles onto it and he's like traumatized because that's his dad or not his dad well it is his dad you know what his it could be
1: dad. but <laughs> a drama television show a it could
0: be a. It, it, there you go. Yes, one <laughs> season
1: a tel- of a, dr- a dramatic television show. It, it could be pulled off that way.
0: It could be, uh, but yeah, I, I don't. I was just. I was like, Ender would never leave and go on super light travels and leave Valentine to die on the planet. <laughs> like, I, I don't think you realize how yeah, connected. I mean, Ender you're is. right.
1: The, the, the ending is botched, um, and Bonzo. The Bonzo fight was definitely botched.
0: The, I think I could have forgiven anything else if not for the Bonzo fight. So, my Ender Wigan kicks kids in the face.
2: Yeah. Yep.
3: Hollywood Ender Wiggin accidentally
0: causes them to hit their heads.
1: It's true. That, that really bummed me out. As soon as I saw that, I was like, No! Ender kills him! He doesn't just die accidentally it
0: was so accidental i was like this defeats the entire purpose like all that happened of- was ender
1: pushed him away <laughs> and then he Ender hit-
0: defended himself and bonzo tripped but, yeah yeah no it was it was terrible i mean okay so i agree the movie was not bad like i don't know if i'd say the movie i cannot bring myself to utter the words the movie was good <laughs> uh but it was not bad uh I I thought it was a good movie. Movies-
1: it was a better adaptation than I expected and a much better one than it could have been. Um, it was not as good as it should have been.
0: Right. So, so there are movies out there that I think are better than the book. I do, too. Uh, um, there are movies out there that I don't think are better than the book, but I watch them and enjoy them enough that... I watch them any like like let's say the Harry Potter movies.
1: Yes, are not better than the books. Those are they're nowhere near as good as the books, but they're still very pleasant. They're still
0: highly it's, enjoyable, right? And I can get through all eight of them faster than I can get through all seven books. Yes. So if I have a short craving, you know that I'm like I don't have time to reread the Harry Potter books, but I want something that brings to mind the emotions and feelings of Harry Potter. I will watch the Harry Potter movies. Uh you know I do the uh, the same thing no I guess that's not true I can't do that with lying the witch in the wardrobe because I can read
1: the book faster than I can watch the movie
0: But <laughs> <laughs> uh Lord of the Rings same thing like
1: So I actually do prefer I, the the movies to the books but that's just because of my I, issues with Tolkien's writing
0: No 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 I agree I prefer the movies to the books but even if I wanted to reread the book, watching the movies, even the extended edition movies, are is so, so much, much faster yeah. than reading the books. <laughs> that I was like, I, I'm. I mean, it gets to me. The important things are the feel, the thematics, and that the characters feel vaguely like the same people. Um,
1: then there's the, the other, other ones. Game, the, the, there are other uh, there's other examples too where a book, you know. But so the my main example for this is the the born identity, the born supremacy, and the born ultimatum. Um, those books are really good and the movies are totally different, but the guy who wrote the books had a role until he died during production of, I think the second one, he had a role in making sure that the movies were essentially intentionally totally different, but hit the spirit of the books. And as such, I, I think they're both equally good and not like, it doesn't offend me at all that they're not the same story because clearly they got all the important points in, but they kept the plot basically nearly entirely different and the details almost all different. And it's just like, they're two separate experiences from the same. Pre- it is oh, yeah. very much like, you know, two separate James Bond movies aren't recreations of each other. It's kind of like that.
0: It's, it's the difference for me. It's the difference between I robot and uh, bicentennial man. I think I love bicentennial man. Yes. Movie. I'm with you. On uh, that. I, I think it gets the heart of that short story. It's way longer than the short story. It's right. completely extrapolated, but I love it. The movie I Robot completely misses
1: the point. <laughs> it, it's, it's a, and, it's completely different, and B, none of the point is there. Like, it, right? It, yeah. So
0: I was just like, this, this, like, I guess if I knew nothing about Isaac Asimov, this could vaguely be an enjoyable movie. But because I love Asimov so much, and I feel like I completely missed the point of I Robot or Caves of Steel, which it was kind of a weird conglomeration of. Right. I, uh, I was like, this is. Not good. Um, Ender's Game, I feel, for me, is going to be more on the iRobot side of things without actually being that heinously, like, like, I cannot watch iRobot. I cannot watch it. I watched I it once, Ender- and
1: I'm done. And I, I, you know, I again, I watched it, and I was like, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that I love Isaac Asimov and love iRobot, and this is nowhere near it, if it had had a different name and they removed the Three Laws of Robotics because they didn't really play a role in that movie. I'd be like, yeah, it was fun. Which is
0: why I'm looking forward to the upcoming television show, Almost Human. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, not Asimov, but, you know, similar idea, but it's not even pretending. So uh, I'm looking forward to this, because you can't desecrate Asimov if you're not pretending to be him. Right. Uh, (laughs) Whereas, so Ender's Game... I don't think I, I don't have that violent of a reaction to it. Uh, I think if it's on TV, if it's at certain points, I I might watch it. Uh, I'm not going to go out and buy it. Because frankly, I can read the book much faster. I mean, just as fast as I can see that movie, probably. I mean, okay, so I can't read Ender's Game in two hours. That's an overstatement. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the book is so quick and so much better that the movie is without a purpose, right? Like w- reading the chapter of ender fighting battles is a better experience than watching any of the quasi battles in the movie.
3: Yeah.
1: I, I, I guess another so, thing is it, it very much is a movie based on the book that models itself after the book and falls short of the book. Um, and it doesn't fall short in the way that sometimes they do, where it's just like a bad, you know, leaving out details that are important. They definitely, there, there are a few, there are a lot of details they changed that are perfectly fine to be changed, so we're not nitpicking yeah. on those things. It's just little important points that they missed. Um, I, if it wasn't called Ender's Game, I think it would have been, like, it would be a better movie that way than, you know, being actual Ender's Game, but I still was very pleasantly surprised by how much of the book was in there, because, again, I was expecting none because I think the entire surface level have... plot could have been there and still and i would still feel that none of the movie would, or none of the book was in it you know like if you got the surface level plot without any of the character interactions you know, essentially the whole the empathy thread like without that there it's not ender's game regardless of what actually happens i in
0: just it. felt the so. empathy thread wasn't i i don't know maybe it it's wasn't just subtle that i did not believe ace I, I mean it certainly i wasn't... didn't believe ace of butterfield either <laughs> i don't yeah, know I, I didn't feel it uh but I feel like it could have been better if it had been two movies Um, there. And then there could have been an entire, because they spent so much time on arrows in the movie and in the book, that's like two chapters and they spend like half the movie there. Uh, So I feel like they should have spent a whole movie just in battle school and then they could have done their whole movie on arrows. But it's not going to happen. So. Yep. If Wishes Were Wings, we We got our movie. Well, we got a movie. (laughs) We got the movie that people
1: had been working on for a long time.
3: Yeah, I just, you know,
0: all I really wanted was a good game. Is that so much (laughs) to ask? (laughs) Go watch Reboot. (laughs) Oh, Reboot. Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like... I, I did enjoy the ending battle sequence. Overall, it, I didn't feel like I wasted two hours of my life. I wasn't angry other than, you know, the Bonzo scene upset me, but I, I didn't feel like it was, that was the closest I came to feeling like it was blasphemy, but I didn't actually feel angry. I was just more like, so,
1: oh. This is exactly, when did. I got out of the movie, um, well, when the movie ended, I turned to the friend that I went with, and I was like, huh, I enjoyed that
3: that's a really pleasant surprise.
1: Well, that's good. <laughs> and that was it. Like that was, I, I, I mean, that, that's essentially what it is. Like I found it enjoyable, which means it was a much better adaptation than I expected it could possibly be. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's basically where my appreciation for it stands, I guess. Um, Like there's, yeah, I, I might buy it. Uh, I probably will buy it at some point, just not at full price. Um, because that ending battle scene was really cool and there were just little things. I probably do want to run it in the background at some point or another, but, uh, but it's certainly not great. Um, it's not a must-see movie. Um, there are other must-see movies out there right now. Um, and yeah, that's
3: about it. That pretty much sums it up. All right. So, uh,
1: do you want to try closing this out?
3: Sure. Uh,
0: (laughs) Thank you guys for listening. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter. Uh, You can follow me at Brown underscore Aja. That's A-J-A-H. And you can follow Michael at uh, ahim A-U-H-I-M. And you can follow the show at Triv Crucial. And I guess we'll see you next week.
1: That's true. And if you want, rate us on iTunes, because that's helpful. And now we actually have show art, because yay. (laughs) So, uh, yeah.
3: So long.